Hi, this is Ryan Bodenheim, artist of The Dying and the Dead, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. Perfect. Yep, our doodles. It's another one. It's a fun one. It is. They don't know that yet, though. It's a great one. No, they don't. Well, I mean, they know they're all great. But I'm letting them know that. Of course, they're, they're all great. I was telling uh, people at home don't know this, but Jason went to pee pee, and I said we are so damn good at this at this point that we could have a conversation with the dude that sweeps up, if there is a dude that sweeps up comic shops, and we would still be able to make an engaging conversation. Not that our interview subject was anything like that, but I'm just saying we're pretty damn versatile at this point. Just to toot our own horns. I I agree. Wow. <laughs> but I don't I don't want it to come across like we're saying our guest wasn't no, riveting. So, no, he was. He was very much so. I'm just saying yeah. we could talk to the indie guys, we can talk to the big two guys, we could talk to guys in the trenches like Josh Bayer, ding. And you know, <laughs> we, we always manage to pull out a, a, a an at least listenable yes. uh, adventure. White Claw? Yep. Oh, boy. <laughs> you can put your panties on after that, your little frilly panties. <laughs> put them on. I already have them on. <laughs> I have them pulled to the side. So oh, my on. dude. <sighs> nom, 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 nom. Hello, everybody. It's Family 11. Entertainment. Yes. It's 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 628. Mm. And I'm, I'm a really inspired Vince B. You are, and I love it, and I am David A. Price. I can vouch for that, and I am, of course, Metlar the Inhumanoid. Oh, boy. No, you're not. You're not Metlar. You're Jason Wood, everybody. Together again. Uh, for this, we have a guest this episode. You're damn right. Yeah, but we're not going to... Well, you already read it in the show notes. It's Phil Hester, and he was amazing. We had a great conversation about a whole bunch of stuff, span the gamut of comic industry, comic process, characters, all of that, all of which are available to you at one place. Where that? It's Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com, where you can get your books, get them fast, get them delivered right to your door for a fraction of the price. Write these down from IDW. It's not often that a non-Big 2 book actually reaches the issue 100 milestone. But what do you know? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has done just that. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, issue 100, by our buddy, who's doing the absolute finest work of his entire career. We are, of course, talking about Dave Wachter, written Mm -hmm. by Tom Waltz and somebody named Kevin Eastman. They put these schlubs on these books. I don't get it. Um Regular price is seven ninety nine, but you're super smart and savvy. You're bringing this thing home for half that, $3.99. From Image, it's Heart Attack, number one, written by Sean Kittleson with art by Eric Zavadsky and Michael Garland. It's um, another, uh, looks like another post-apocalyptic story with gene therapy and super heroics and not so nice um, misadventures. It's uh, three ninety nine, 
but you know the drill. You're getting it for $1.99. That's 50% off. Certainly not least, number three, from Ahoy. We talked this book up a little while ago. This is the second go-around with these characters. It's called Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man. Two worlds come together. This is a five-issue miniseries, the first of which will cost you not three ninety nine as is printed on the cover, but a dollar ninety nine. Don't be silly. What? Mm-mm. No, I'm saying yeah, no, no, that's it's crazy. That wasn't a uh uh-uh, uh. That was a mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why would you? Mm-hmm. Why would? <laughs> why would you pay? <laughs> He's such an idiot. <laughs> why would you pay? Full price. Why don't you pay it all? Oh, yeah. No, full price. Yeah. No, yeah. And Phil goes into some, yes, some piracy that, it, talk, all, too, which is, it's all meta. which is very, very relevant to the times in which we live. But uh, three ninety nine cover price, you are bringing it home for $1.99. DCBService.com, the absolute best on the stinking planet. I chatted with Christina yesterday. Nice. Do tell. Well... First, I wanted to say hello and see how her trip was because she took a big vacation with her sisters, which looked pretty fun. Then I wanted to see if uh, or make double, triple check that her and Cam would be at uh, New York Comic Con, and they will. Nice. And then I wanted to see if they had any interest in us uh, having a cocktail or two while we're in town because the last few years, all we've really done is run into them almost randomly and say a quick hello. So, uh, and then uh, four, I had a. Pre- Proposal for her, or well, kind of a quasi request slash proposal um, related to our show and Patreon, and I can't get into it right now. But the initial discussion was quite advantageous. Ooh. Wait a minute, what is this? We right? Dap and I were not informed of this. I love it. You but, guys gave me long ago power of attorney to make this kind of thing, so, <laughs> so I'm not. No, it's very true. If I, I only give carte blanche to maybe three people in my life, one of which is my wife, because she makes the money. So <laughs> you two are the others. But, uh, you know, and speaking of discount comic book service, I got a wonderful email, uh, wonderful and distressing at the same time, from um, DCBS, because a book I had pre-ordered maybe two months back had doubled in price mm. how do you approach Extra publishing no no how do you approach publishing in such an ass backwards way that you suddenly realize that it's going to cost you twice as much to print the book and she, and it was it was nice because um it was worded like um you have this on your order we understand that the price is you know pretty much doubled do you want to keep it or do you want to cancel it? I'm like, uh, hells no, I want to, I want to cancel it. Even though it was something I, to which I was looking forward. Which was? Well, sure. It was from Sir Nunos. It was the book about the art of the devil. Okay. 400-page hardcover. And it was originally solicited at like less than 20 bucks for a 400-and-some-page hardcover. I'm like, sure. But the right. price changed to 44-something. Wow. And it would cost me an extra maybe, you know, 13 bucks and i'm like no i don't want it on principle if you're not going to do your homework and you know i don't care you're probably printing overseas anyway if you're not going to do your homework and spec it out then i'm not going to cover your mistake so i had another guy from uh, sullivan sluggers at another company 
Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> nice. Shooter McCray. Speaking of shots, <laughs> what are you drinking? Um, I'm drinking some Sam again. Sam regular, like Sam Lager? Just regular Sam Adams Boston Lager. I love it. Got it. Yep. The original craft beer. It's still the best tasting. But uh, anyway. Anyway. Um, well, we yeah. already heard popping tops. Yeah, I'm drinking some, because I, I got it like that, y'all. Some of you don't. I'm drinking <laughs> White Claw, Ruby Grapefruit Hard Seltzer. Claws are- yeah. <laughs> I uh, should be talking about man eaters because he, ha- uh, he has to get a pap smear tomorrow, so he doesn't want to go in drunk. <laughs> oh my god, dude. dude, you just turned off like a thousand female listeners. Sorry, sexist pig. I'm sorry, but you apologize you... to Sarah when you see her in two weeks. <sighs> anyway, Dap, what are you drinking? I, um, well, I was going to, um, have some seltzer tonight to 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 make up for my to catch up to you guys from our bonus Sunday night episode um and because I am probably going to be drinking many drinks tomorrow the minion wants to um take me off my birthday you'll never guess where he's taking me Jason I I couldn't imagine we're going uh, to the man so uh, oh my goodness I was going to say Olive Garden Oh God, no! Oh, but I see you, Quiet, man. Wow, that is shocking. no. I am not going to no stinking Olive Garden. I can wobble home. It's perfect. I don't no. care. Um, you got a tab at the Olive Garden? <laughs> they even put it. Put it on my tab, good man. <laughs> oh, that nasty shit. Um, I am. Um, this is a shout out to Caleb because he sent this to me once many many moons ago. Uh, this is uh, Avalon Cabernet Sauvignon. Lodi, California, from 2017. Oh, okay. Nice. Nice. Before we, we, before we uh, introduce Phil and talk about the other comics, uh, New York Comic Con, uh, as we are recording, we will have, we will be, we will be, we are two weeks away from being done our first day of New York Comic Con. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We will be back at my crib or close to it probably two weeks from now. Just, uh, rehashing the uh, glory of the first day. But um, a great many of you are going to be at New York Comic Con, roughly 150,000 of you. So next, uh, the Friday of New York Comic Con, October 4th, we will be having a little get-together somewhere. Still trying to figure out the where, but uh, that's not really as important as you making the commitment to be there. It'll be somewhere nearby the Javits. so, um, So put it on your calendars now. We'd love to see you. We want to have people roll in. You don't got to roll in for the whole night. You can roll in for a drink or two, say hello, and go about your business. You know, if you're a big muckety-muck and you need to go to some kind of industry party or you do you. But, uh, yeah, we're going to we're gonna plant the flag somewhere. We're going to set up shop, hopefully get a nice crew, and just hang out and do our thing. So Friday, October 4th will be the night. So if you all want to socialize with us outside of the con floor, that is your opportunity, and we would love to see you. Speaking of the convention... Oh, we really need to make a uh, concerted effort to bumpers, to, uh, bumpers, content, videos, photos, yeah. because we did not do squat at C2E2, even though it was a shitstorm. Um, we, we really didn't provide. We, we put some photos up, but it wasn't really a lot. 
So I think for New York, which is our home show, yeah. we're yeah, kind of right. more organized for New York. We don't because we we it, are. We, yeah. Chicago was because we walked to the con each day, whereas for New York, we're in the car and and we can always you know fire up the recording device and 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 chat for a bit. It's we we are more organized at New York. We we kind of right. have a game plan. We know what aisles we need to hit, who's at each aisle where we can chat for a few minutes. Chicago C two E two as 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 great as a show it was for everybody it it was we were not as um as organized as we tend to like to be for a convention that's poop <laughs> but, but uh, right either way you're right vince good good on you we will we, we will we will crush it we will be a multimedia extravaganza at new york comic con as we always say i want bumpers from people who are going to be hanging with us friday night um, we need a lot of bumpers because uh, I've been noticing that I tend to reuse some um, favorites. And even if we get – well, one of the excuses we use is when we see somebody, ah, we got him. But we should get another one then. And, so and, you and definitely another one, especially now that we're a little savvier to it versus a few years ago when we just asked for bumpers. We can get them to say, hey, you got this book coming out. Why don't you pip it? Right, right. So good old so, content. But as we always say, asked, we are going to be Suter and New York City is going to be the anvil. We're going to hit it <laughs> and, and hit it hard. Doom. Doom. Yeah, Doom. No, no doubt. So there you go. No diggity, no doubt. Um, so, oh, please, yeah, please do come on through on that Friday night, though, because right, we, we, didn't really, we didn't really publicize our get-together last, last year as much as we should have. And uh, then we had... You know, we didn't have as many folks as we expected, and then we had a lot of folks saying, "Oh, I didn't know what was going on. I would love to have seen you all." So, so no excuses this year. We, we will, we will have a spot, and we're expecting to see you. Everybody's welcome. Oh hell yeah, everybody, even that guy back there. Yep. So, what you are about to hear is an amazingly engaging conversation with a seasoned pro, a veteran. So great, a veteran of the comic wars. Uh, we we mentioned his name. We'll do it again, Mr. Phil Hester. It's unbelievably good. We had a great time. You will too. Stick around after the dust settles because we're going to do a little bit of catch up and then we out of here. So enjoy this. Be back in two and two. Our guest tonight, uh, he's written The Darkness and uh, he's penciled a couple of issues. He's uh, written Black Terror, The Atheist, Green Hornet. The Coffin, Wonder Woman, Thunder Agents, Gen 13, Deep Sleeper, Stronghold, and he's the co-creator of Fire Breather and of The Anchor. He's drawn Swamp Thing and The Wretch and Green Arrow, where he co-created Mia Dearden and Onomatopoeia. Uh, he's drawn uh, The Teen Titans, Nightwing, Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters, Batman Beyond, Ultimate Marvel Team-Up, uh, Shipwreck, uh, and he's along with... Andy Parks, the reason why I bought Irredeemable Ant-Man, where he co-created Eric O'Grady. Uh, he's contributed to anthologies like Negative Burn, 24-7, Grendel, Red, White, and Black. Um, the 9-11 uh, anthology published in part by DC, the world's finest comic book writers and artists tell stories to remember, as well as the 9-11 Emergency Relief Anthology from Alternative Comics. The Man has been published by... DC and Caliber and Oni Press and Marvel, IDW, Image Comics, Aftershock, Boom, and Ahoy. And tonight he is with us. It is Mr. Phil Hester. Hey, everybody. 
You know, that makes it sound, that makes it sound like I know what I'm doing. (laughs) He covered pretty much everything, didn't he? Yeah. Close. He's a good man. Close. Yeah, no, there's, there's, there's a lot more. And I didn't want to just, I mean, the whole episode could just be running down your resume and people can absolutely, uh, we need to update your Wikipedia page, but people can go to comic book DB and other spots to, uh, to see everything that, uh, that you've worked on, but you just run down every title and I could apologize for each one individually. (laughs) (laughs) Dap, did you say uncle slam? I, I did not say Uh and uncle slam. And Uncle Slam. Yes. Now, now you guys are dating. Now you guys are the old ones. Yeah. Well, we are. We're very oh, yes. old. Yes. Yep. But we don't care because we love this medium and we love your work, and that's why we're here. We want to talk to you about it. I'm I'm all for it. Yay. Awesome. Yeah, it's ridiculously ridiculously overdue. I, yeah, it's like I'm, I wonder, did I like? Uh, did I do something to these guys and not You're on know the blacklist, it? man. You just you, we, we we can't we can't even tell you how you got out of it, but you did finally get off of it. Yeah, it was like a double secret probation. Yeah, it, yeah it twelve year probation. Yeah. <laughs> well, at one time, Jason used to be a Republican. So when <laughs> when you were doing Green Arrow, it's like I can't talk oh, about. Yeah, yeah you it's know, true. Yeah. This liberal. I think I've more than made up for those past sins. <laughs> you have. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm about as outspoken politically yeah. as, 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 as Ali. Individual. Yeah, as yeah. Ali himself. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, true. Yeah. That's true, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so uh, the big news, the surprise news, not really a surprise if you get the previews catalog, is that in this month you can pre-order Mr. Hester's upcoming book with Jeff Lemire. It's called Family Tree, number one. Yes. And I, I want all the dirt on this. Where did it come from? How did it originate? What was the well? You know the the beef. It came, it came from uh, Jeff's like fertile imagination. I mean, he is like a dynamo. Like uh, he produces work at a, a like an alarming rate. It's ridiculous, right? <laughs> like even just just like the Black Hammer universe is enough output for any one creator, and that's like a side hustle for him. <laughs> you know, he's out he's out here creating. You know, books at at a pace I don't think I've seen in modern comics ever. Um, but it it came from uh, Jeff and I wanting to do something together for a while, and you know we've been talking for like, oh gosh, I don't know. Family Tree's been in the process of being born for probably four years, um, just from us talking back and forth about doing something. And we had a couple like near misses on big two projects together. And um, Jeff just finally hit a story that he felt like, you know, this is a, a a thing that I think you'll work on and we can take the image and it'll be slam dunk. So let's, let's put it together. And um, after a few false starts, because both our schedules are kind of crazy. Um, we finally came available both at the same time and, and started working on it. <clears throat> well, it's a striking cover. I mean, you're going to be able to see this from anywhere in the comic shop. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. I mean, uh, almost everybody in comics can draw better than I can, so it's my it's my it's goal to false, like false <laughs> at, at least create something that uh, looks striking and arresting. And, and I think Jeff was like, uh, uh, I mean, he was. We've been 
mutual admirers for a while, but I think shipwreck kind of pushed him over the edge where he's like, we finally need to get together and do something. Yeah. I, and I don't want to interrupt the, uh, the, I was reading the, um, the collective version of shipwreck. Um, and the introduction by Jeff is, is extremely flattering. And, and oh, he did the introduction uh, in the trade on, on the trade. Yeah. Cause okay. I also was, was sent, um, John, um, John O'Neill sent me the issues and I had ordered, um, on one of Aftershock's Christmas sales, I ordered a bunch of trades so we could send them to the patrons and, and I decided to, and so I'm finally reading it and I figured, well, it's on the bookshelf. I grabbed it. Tra- and, and the first thing I see is the intro by, by Jeff and it's, and he still has, I don't know if he still hasn't, but according to the intro, he, um, he hasn't read the last issue because he doesn't want the uh the story of, of shipwreck to end but no it's, it's right. a fantastic he's and he's not wrong he's not wrong about anything he said about i mean about warren but especially about you yeah i don't um i have a hard uh i'm from the midwest so i have a hard time uh taking compliments and like i started reading that and i couldn't finish it i started reading that intro and it's like this is too nice. I can't, uh, you know, like I'm, it would be immodest for me to finish reading this intro. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the same thing happened to me when I got Mark Miller to write the, the opener, um, the forward for mythic, the book I did an image with, um, uh, like what three years ago now with John McCray. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mark wrote a really nice intro, and as soon as he started praising me, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I can't look at this anymore. It's difficult <laughs> to hear take... others praise your work, isn't it? It is for me. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've, learned, I, I've learned to it's... come to terms with it. <laughs> when does it happen? <laughs> All Someday. the time it happened today. Oh, really? Man, you crunched those numbers like a boss. Thank no, you. I mean our collective talents. Oh, not... Okay. I thought you meant your real job. No. no. But, I mean, I'm just, I can't get past this cover. I know. it's The lines are so delicate. And that's one thing that when I think Phil Hester, I don't always think delicate. Right. And yet I there it is. It has a lot to do with my anchor on the project, Eric Gapster. Um, uh, my usual anchor is Andy Park, so you, yes. you know. Yes, it is. And we both kind of reinforce our strengths. Like, we're both about big, bold moves. And Eric's, Eric comes from the comic strip world, not the comic book world, although he loves comic books and he, you know, he's a capable, you know, a talented comic book illustrator in his own right. He comes from the comic strip world and his own work in that strip world is very sensitive and delicate. And so he can sort of find those corners in my work that I don't necessarily um, accentuate on my own. And kind of bring him to the fore. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, we we developed this thing. I don't know. If I'm maybe I'm. This is too deep a dive. But uh, when Andy and I were doing Ant Man together, um, we started doing this thing where, like, we always had like large black areas in our work. But on Ant Man, we started doing this thing where we would block in those big those big black areas on the page or the panel. But then we go back into them and draw with white like inside of those black areas, right? contours and things. And Andy did that digitally, but uh, I wanted to resurrect that look for shipwreck and also family tree. And Eric is so old school. Like he wanted to do those by hand. And so like 
all those little white lights, white lines you see on the cover number one are him actually physically like with a number one brush going in and painting white lines over black. Oh, so that's, that's great. Yeah. You know, and you know what? Work. I think that's kind of the way it should be done. Yeah. That, that, that's the organic way. It, it, in, in this digital age, you don't always get to see that somebody on procreates just kind of whizzing, you know, with a little stylus. And I, I just love to see it physically, physical media. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, and you guys, well, people that know me on, you know, from my online presence know that I'm a big original art collector too. Yes. And I really feel like there's, I like having a product at the end. You know, I like having a piece of art at the end of the process. And Music um, to my ears. Yeah. It makes it yeah. real, you know? Eric feels the same way, and that's, you know, that's where that process was sort of born. Well, I don't know how deep we should go into the the plot of this first issue. Suffice to say that it is a post-apocalyptic tale. And yeah. I, I don't know what uh, what's going on, because this week, that's all I've been reading is post-apocalyptic tales. It could have been yeah. a coincidence, but this one was, this so one hit. comics being escapism. Uh, yeah. But it, it hit right in the sweet spot. Yeah, we thought there was like a like apocalyptic stories with tree themes were were underrepresented at Image. So <laughs> we, we do it. severely. Uh, yeah, no, it's um, it uh, I think that stuff the the nuts and bolts of this of the apocalyptic and kind of body horror stuff is is almost secondary to uh, the story that Jeff's writing, which is you know, this kind of family drama and it's, I think that's true of like the majority of Jeff's work, like, like on animal man or Royal city. Um, there, there can be these superheroic or horror elements, supernatural elements dropped in, but in the end it's, you know, it's about families trying to get along. Did Jeff um, give you any insight into what was significant about the date he picked for the the end of the no. world? No. It just seems kind of semi-arbitrary, March 14th, 1997. Like, I was just wondering if it was a significant date for something in his oh, life or... Listen, <laughs> it could be. I, I only have up to issue five, so I don't know what happens after issue five. And, and <laughs> maybe he's setting me up for a nice... Uh, a nice zinger later but it i think like one of his real strengths as a writer is um the last page of every issue he writes is always a real stinger right uh, i think he's up there with brian k vaughn for being able to do that i'd agree with uh, that yeah yeah yep. yeah yeah he's a good way of like holding his cards close to the chest until that last page and on the last page something sort of devastating either emotionally or visually is always revealed so it's a lot of fun to draw the book and you mentioned um lemire's how how prolific he is i mean yeah. it's it's a significant achievement but on top of it the books are all good i mean i, yeah. I could i could see you you know a guy yeah, writing writing 10 yeah. books and like three of them are really good and then you get four eh, mezzan the last two are just terrible all jeff's books are good oh you see it happen all the time yeah. It's it's sort of the trajectory of of the hot writer is, you know, you have a couple of indie things that really blow up and people love you, and then Marvel and DC come to town and they want you to write everything, and yes. you get out over your skis and 
Um, you start overextending yourself. And, right. Um, the quality doesn't match your earlier work. Um, and that's down to one, Jeff is super talented, but also Jeff knows when to pull back. Um, you know, he, he used to write a ton of stuff for Marvel and he's not so much anymore. And, um, his DC stuff is pretty, I mean, he, you know, he's a shot caller now, so he, you know, he chooses what he wants to work on mm. and, um, yeah. he doesn't take like, you know, they roll up on him on a series that he doesn't believe in. He doesn't do it. So, um, I think that's helped him keep his quality level high. But enough about Jeff. Let's praise you a little bit. <laughs> because okay. I, as I was going through this thing, I almost, I found myself making the same facial expressions as the characters. Um, mm-hmm. Loretta is very expressive, uh, especially yeah. with, with her eyes. But the dude that shows up in the grocery store with the box of cereal, and he, yeah. I, I made that face when when I was reading like I, it, it's almost contagious and that's the one I, I love the facial expressions in this book I, I'm I'm making all of them as I draw I figured so as much yeah it. yeah it's you can't help it I, I think most artists do like when they're drawing a like somebody scowling or shouting or whatever they're they're probably doing it silently at their drawing table right um, but yeah it's the acting is really important for this book um, because there are sort of thunderclaps or explosions of action, but um, there are long rests between those thunderclaps, and that's when the acting has to sort of carry the story. And um, uh, it's fun to get really get in there. And, and Jeff's dialogue is so evocative. Um, the cues as to you know what kind of expressions to give people are right there. So it's it's all right in the script, and it's just my job to sort of bring it to life. And as always, uh, major props for your use of negative space. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you. That's sort of, I I knew Jeff was really liked what we did with shipwreck again. And, um, for me up to that point, that was the most fun I had ever had drawing a comic was drawing shipwreck. Um, and, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's sort of the closest. That's saying um, something because you've been drawing comics for a long time. Yeah, I think that's the closest to my natural style as I've had out. Um, you know, I draw shinier, bouncier stuff for superheroes, and I've drawn um, a little bit edgier, darker, messier stuff for like horror books or artsy mm-hmm. books. And Shipwreck sort of lands in that perfect synthesis of those two things. And it's been, it was very rewarding for me. And I really feel like Family Tree is like just a, like a continuing evolution of that style. Yeah. Oh, so did knowing, I mean, I kind of like how people treat Byrne and Austin uh, <laughs> or, or Miller and, and chance it, it's, it's very hard for me to not see Andy's name after okay. yours. And, and so when you would uh, shipwreck first, but now with family tree have, Okay, you just said that this is kind of a different style than what you're used to doing. So how how um how much different are you knowing that Eric is inking you and not Andy? Is did that in any way make you want to change your style up a bit, or are you still just treating? Oh well, I'm um, Andy's a little more rooted in classical inking technique than 
Eric is. Like Eric, Eric is willing to do a deadline. Um, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but a deadline is a line where you don't vary line weights. Um, and okay. Andy is so old school that he'll always vary a line weight. You know, it'll start thin and get yes. thin. You know what I mean? Uh, and nice. that's classic Dick Giordano, Tom Palmer, Klaus Jansen inking. Um, and I love it. And, you know, Andy and I still work together like that all the time. We just did a Martian Manhunter story for DC that he inked. Um, so we're still together. <laughs> oh. We're still Good. working together. <laughs> um, there's just certain books that he can't commit to um, because I don't know if, uh, if you guys spoken with him in the last, I don't know, four or five years, but like a while ago he made a conscious effort to like ink less and write more. Yes. I remember and, that. Yeah. And sort of like, it wasn't like a retirement for minking, but it was like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to take some time off and write a novel, try to get more inking work done. I mean, more writing work done. And I was like, oh, I need an anchor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. No, I'm not going to ink this crap. And so I, uh, luckily, Eric, um, who I met when he was a kid, um, has a similar aesthetic to mine and actually lives nearby. So um, he made a natural choice for me to, to start using him. But, um, you know, both guys are capable of, of doing either style both guys could ink that it's just that the book called for a different look mm-hmm. and like on on family tree i'm not even using a straight edge like i'm trying to hand draw everything i'm trying to get a little bit more of that um the thing i really about admire about jeff lemire's books that he does solo is that he's just like he just draws it like he doesn't get hung up on bs <laughs> like yeah no he just draws true. it and I'm always like, I'm always fretting about. Oh man, is this really how a car, a car fender goes? I better, I better reference this. And part of me is like, no, just draw it, because people, are, what people are paying for, is admission to your imagination. Right. They're paying for admission to like your inner visual world, and as long as it gets close enough to. A verisimilitude of the outside world that people buy it and move on. Like they don't linger on it. They see it, they know what it is, they move on. Um, it works. And uh, I, I try to sort of adopt a little bit more of that aesthetic from, from Jeff's solo work. By the way, kudos to you for using the best word that's ever been used on this show. You know. Verisimilitude—that like is fantastic. <laughs> I said that last episode. <laughs> no, you didn't. That literally came out of my mouth last episode. Are you serious? I do not remember that. Uh, testament <laughs> to the fact that you do not pay attention to me, my friend. Oh, pl- oh, whoa, with you. <laughs> but anyway, on the subject of straight lines, it's interesting that you should yes. bring that up, um, uh, or straight edge, because uh, as a fan of the Transformers, I I devour the IDW <laughs> books. And I'm like, man, uh-huh. these are great. You know, this Guido Guidi's a kicking artist. But I would love to see mm-hmm. somebody approach that um, franchise and throw the straight edge away. And in comes Tom Scholey. And, oh, and, yeah. he, and he, do, he did it the way I always wanted to see Transformers. A, a rough, organic, just um, a, 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 what's the word? Unrestrained approach to things that are very geometric. And whenever um, I teach illustration, 
I take the straight edges away from the kids. You have triangles, rulers. I just take them. You're not using these anymore because I'd love to see that organic line. It's just a beautiful thing. And and you can be um, hobbled by a straight edge. You rely on it a little bit too much. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you can, it, your drawings can get killed. And um, I I just thought I'd, you know, try to keep family tree, you know, all pun puns aside, try to keep family tree more organic. It looks yeah. great. It looks I think, wonderful. Yeah, he succeeded. Absolutely. I mean, even even any page that, that has um, two panels and and one of them is just... And, and what I love is... I, and I just noticed that there, there's one page where there's a reveal. I just noticed her shadow. And that that blows me away because it's just it 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 makes perfect sense. But it it's even when you don't pack the page full edge to edge with with line work, you still manage to to knock someone out. I, it's just it it looks it is. It's I mean I'm and I have you know I I have. The Green Arrow run, and 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 I love that, and so much so that I that I, that I have a page that you and Andy both sign, and I refuse to cut it, and it's not going to fit in an eleven by seventeen <laughs> frame. Um, but I, I, so I've I've seen your your work over the years, and I, I close my eyes and I, I picture your style, and this 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 is you, this is obviously you. I see it, yeah. but yeah, it, it's I, I don't want to say it's softer, but I guess that makes sense since you're since you're trying to do just more freehand. It's less slick. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not, it's not as slick. And Andy is a slicker inker also. Um, Andy knows how to polish me up and, and make me do a, you know, palatable to a superhero audience. Mm-hmm. Um, um, barely <laughs> palatable to a superhero audience. But I think a book on family tree, I can just let it all hang out and just be myself because, uh, the people that are coming for a Jeff Lemire book at image that are horror fans, and their style and i can just be my and um that's hopefully what people are gonna get all right well it even makes more sense when you the the theme of the book is a post-apocalyptic world overgrown by let's let's just say vegetation to take a more earthy approach right and not constrain Mm -hmm. yourself with rigid uh parameters i just think it's it's smart you're you're a smart man Wow. Now, when um, not uh, the, the, the um, knowing that you're an artist and a writer, and so is Jeff. When it comes to something like so, so you're five issues in. Um, how much? What's 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 the process like? What's what's the give and take? Does how how strict is? Because then I'm going to ask you to compare them to Warren Ellis. But how strict is is Jeff's scripts? It, 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 or does he? Uh, Give you a lot of room. You would be, uh, I think you'll be surprised that they're both uh, similarly, similarly, similar. They're both very alike. They're both alike. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. Uh, They're both similar in the fact that they are very terse with their scripts, um, which is sort of a hallmark of a writer that expects the artist to think about things and bring their own perspective to, um, the panel they're going to draw. Mm-hmm. So uh, neither one of those guys gives camera angles. Um, uh, Warren talks a little bit more about how he wants pages laid out. Um, he, you know, that he prefers that Warren Ellis widescreen, you know, stacked widescreen panels. Um, right. 
but Jeff doesn't place any sort of parameters like that. But they're both equally economical in terms of their panel descriptions. Um, I, I think in Jeff's case, he knows that the dialogue is going to carry the day. Like, I'm going to figure out how, what's important about this panel from the dialogue. And, um, and both guys sort of, I think, uh, hopefully respect my skills as a storyteller to just sort of um, do my thing. And if I feel like I need to change something, um, I usually change it with a justification so they know why I did it. Um, and I think every time I did I, the only time I, it didn't fly in shipwreck was once. I think I, I suggested something once and, and tried it and it, it went, it went counter to what Warren wanted. So we, you know, went back and did it his way and that hasn't happened yet on family tree. So, um, okay. and I think that's just part of Jeff, like, you know, he, he sought me out. He wanted to work with me on this thing. And I, it's probably because he liked the way I tell, told stories. Mm -hmm. yep. So in cinematic terms, he's the screenwriter. You're actually the director of this production. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be the director and the, and the actors and the set designer and the <laughs> cinematographer, yeah. you know, you have to wear a lot of hats and, um, and Jeff, you know, I mean, what's, surprising to me is that sometimes i'll i'm learning a lot from family tree i know that because sometimes i'll be drawing along and i'll just do a couple pages in a row that i thought these are throwaway pages why are we doing this you know like i i don't get this like this page we blew a whole page on her like opening a car door and noticing a leaf falling you know we blew that and i don't know what we're doing and then i realized that it was like to set up the beats for the third page which like the third page is devastating <laughs> you know, um, but that stuff is so ingrained in Jeff's storytelling sensibilities mm -hmm. um, that he just writes that way. He writes at a pace that, like, I would never write at. Like, I'm so used to writing at sort of a really economical, like, page. You know, pages and panels are so precious that I have to cram a lot of stuff in there. And Jeff's like, uh, because of the su success he's had, he knows. Oh, I'm going to write this thing for 12 issues or eight issues or 30 issues, whatever. I'm going to take my time and tell it the way I want to tell it. And, um, the way he paces an issue, I've learned a lot from too. So I, I'm trying to, this is like, not only is this a fun project to work on, but it's also like a college course, even though Jeff's younger than I am, I'm learning a ton from him about how to structure comic books. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that was one of the things I was curious about because you know, we've talked a lot about Jeff and how prolific he is, but I mean, you're, you're certainly prolific too, and, and have done a ton of writing and drawing. So, I mean, it's not like this is um, a greenfield thing for you. So, so as a writer, um, you know, has your process as a writer changed over the years um, in terms of how you work with, uh, with, with other illustrators and, and, and do you like, let, yeah, the, I'm do you sort let of... your relationship with their illustrator change? Like, you know, does to say the way you, you worked with Ryan Kelly differ than the way you've worked with mm -hmm. another artist? Oh yeah, definitely. Cause you sort of know what people are good at and what they're not good at. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you sort of, you try to play to their strengths and you, um, in terms of like, um, that's the hardest thing for me that I have to pull back on because I'm an artist. Also when I'm writing a script, I see the way I want it to go. And I back off a little bit from kind of bullying the artist in my panel description and saying, you know, this should be a low angle and, uh, you know, uh, Birdman should be a panel left and you know, 
whatever. You know, I have to back off that a little bit and let the artists assert themselves. Um, otherwise, they'll feel smothered. Uh, and that's where another thing I'm taking with Jeff is that, you know, sometimes you just have to let it, let the chips fall and adapt instead of writing. <laughs> like, to, before this, my ideal comic book writing experience was sort of like Harvey, uh, Har- the way Harvey Kurtzman wrote the war books or EC back in the day. Like he would take, you know, he would, he would write the story and he'd take like a, a, a sheet of type. He'd rough out the eight pages on that one sheet of type and like hand that off to the artist and say, here's your, here's your layouts. Yeah. To me, that sound, that was sounded so much fun. I mean, I own, I own one of those, like, because I, I just like wanted to study it. And to understand a writer, that was like the ideal thing. Like, oh, I can write a book and lay it out, but now I have to bother with drawing it. That's great. <laughs> you know, and that's uh, so just getting me to loosen up a little bit off on that. But to me, that was a lot of fun. Well, when you have your skill as a visual stylist to relinquish control is, I would think, very hard. Because it is, it is tough. Yeah. yeah. As stuff comes in and you're looking at it and you're like, oh, this is pretty good, but I kind of would have done this a different way. But then again, you can't lean on the guys because then they're going to be like, screw working with Phil. Yeah, no, I've <laughs> He's never. He's too controlling. Made, I've never made anyone redraw anything because I've, I've been on the other end of that equation. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm never going to do that. But um, it did. It did help me just over the years, even before this book with Jeff, learn to back off that. Like the very first like big thing I ever wrote was the coffin at Oni, like mm-hmm. in two thousand. Yeah. And I, I really did very tight layouts and balloon placements, everything, um, for that book. And um, it took me, and I thought this is just how I'm going to work. This is the way I I'm going to write from now on. And it took me, oh gosh, what was it? Like the second Fire Breather series. Like I was doing that for Andy Kuhn and I'm like, what am I doing? Andy knows how to tell a story. Andy, <laughs> you know, uh, and Andy was like, yeah, in fact, I'd rather we work Marvel style. So, and so it helped me loosen up and, and sort of be able to find joy in all these different methods that you could approach writing a comic book. So, um, now I can do I can do Marvel style, I can do thumbnail style, I can do full script. All those things are fun to me now. That's great. Yeah. Are we going to get our hearts broken on this book? Yes. Oh boy. I would imagine right <laughs> that is, there's the end of the world that, that we're dealing with, so. Well, I don't worry about that. Well, I'm just concerned about the characters we've been introduced to. It's sort well, of it's, yeah, a, it's, it's ongoing, Walmart, right? So right? I assume it'll I mean partially be driven by how sales are, but if 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 it is a Fingers crossed, a big hit. Um, you know, there there are there are twenty issue ongoings and there are hundred issue ongoings. So, right. have you guys gotten? Have you brainstormed enough to have a concept of? Is this one of those things where you know how it begins, you know how it ends, but how long it takes to get there will depend. Yeah, that's all up to Jeff, and it's all up to whether his TV show is a big hit. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, if he's a, if he's on the set uh, for most of twenty twenty. Uh, it's going to be a short series. <laughs> so right. uh, it's it's largely a matter of like Jeff's availability. So if he if he's inspired and feels like he wants to keep writing it, I'll keep drawing it. Um, we'll go as long as he wants to go. Um, but, but I um, like there's a choke up moment in the second issue, you know, 
and you've only known these characters for like 30 pages and there's already a moment when you're just like damn um you know wiping the tears away because that's jeff's specialty you know sort of just getting to the emotional core of a story definitely like really efficiently and um kind of almost deceptively so that you're kind of trucking along in the i'm here Oh, okay. Uh, I lost. You, I lost you for a second. Yeah. You, um, your side keeps dropping out. Um, okay. I'm in. I'm in the sticks. That's probably it. It's true. That's where you're just in. The, in your description for Skype, it says the sticks for your, your address. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, live. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but uh, the uh, I, I just I'm looking at these pages and uh, I have to wonder what's the uh, how many do you produce a day. Oh, well, boy, I'm doing other things too. So like I try to do one a day. Okay. But then I'm also drawing, you know, like little side gigs like this Martian Manhunter gig or, um, you know, I'm writing stuff for um, DC and then I'm, uh, I just helped along with their new middle grade readers line. Oh, nice. Um, they have a Robin graphic novel coming out. And I think part of the goal of that line was to bring in talent from outside of comics and, um, which is cool. And it brings in a whole new sort of demographic of reader. But the problem with that is those, a, a lot of that talent isn't familiar with how to make a comic book. Right, right. Right. Okay. So they sort of hired me to come in and lay out, lay out books. So I laid out the Robin book and, and handed that off to the the artist to do finished art based on my layouts. So that was a lot of fun for me too, because that was just like a storytelling, you know, uh, pure storytelling. Like mm-hmm. I just sat down and did thumbnails all day. So That's I've always got cool. little, I've always got these little side gigs going too, and um, try to keep my hand in at a bunch of different places because. Yeah, I mean that that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because I think you've had a very long consistent career um both as a writer and an artist but but you kind of just hinted at it it's i've i've i'd love to hear you sort of speak on what it's like to be um you know essentially a freelance artist for a few decades like like what is what is that like i mean just in terms of mechanistically um you know keeping lots of balls in the air and like how how often are you looking for new gigs and just trying to make sure they all slot in. Cause I mean, I, I would imagine it's gotta be stressful at times, but, but you yeah. know, you've probably been around long enough that you, you knock on wood. Usually your plate is, is more, is, it's more a case of just trying to figure out what to say no to than to like what you yeah. have to say yes to. But, I, but I'm, I, I am fascinated by that. Cause I think we, as, as, as consumers of this, you know, we, we often just think of, of creators as either, Oh, they're, you know, they're, an ex- they're exclusive to this or, or they write it big too, or they do their indie stuff. But we don't really think about the me- the mechanics of what it's actually like to make your living this way, where you you are trying to fill your plate and your bank account with lots of different gigs that have different time frames and and different probabilities of success and that sort of thing. Yeah, I uh, I always tell people that wonder what you know people with regular jobs that wonder what it's like to to live freelance for thirty years, um, what it's like, and I was like, well it's wonderful. Like I never get bored. I've, you know, I've got a new job every year. Sure. Um, and it's all, and they're all dream jobs. They're all fun. But the downside of that is I don't know what I'm doing six months from now. 
Um, but, but that's sort of a blessing because guess what? Neither do you. <laughs> oh, that's interesting perspective, right? <laughs> Nobody like you don't know what's going to happen to your business. You don't know what's going to happen to your industry, um, and neither do I. I just know it, so I'm always I'm always like trying to stay nimble and ready to adjust to whatever that takes me. Um, in in the thirty plus years I've been doing comics, I I think I spent maybe nine months out of comics in the right in the middle, and that was when I was doing a lot of animation storyboard stuff sure Um, and just that little that little window out of comics was like heartbreaking to me even though i was working on the coolest shows like i was working on the batman show i was working on the superman show um men in black big guy and rusty like i was working on really cool shows but even that even being that close to almost as cool as comics wasn't enough for me and i was sort of like I got to get back to comics, but, um, so it sort of made me adopt this philosophy of never, ever having all my eggs in one basket, right? Um, Never having all my income from writing or from drawing, never being just at one company or one publisher. Um, always being, uh, nimble enough to like, you know, no, go where the work is. And sometimes when I talk to like younger artists or, or, classes or um do school presentations i know like i know how rare being a comic book artist is it's like going to career day and talking to kids about how they can be in the nba someday it's really it's really rare um so what i do talk to them about is like look if you are a creative person you have to learn to trust your creativity whether you become a doctor or an accountant or a copywriter or you know, whatever, um, or a dancer, a musician, um, the thing that you can bank on is your creativity and your, and your thinking mm-hmm. great creatively. And I know that that's like, if comics disappeared for me tomorrow, I'd start writing my novel, you know, or I'd start storyboarding for film, you know, I'd start, you know, using my creativity in a different way. Sure. And comics, the way I handle my comics career is sort of like, a focusing of that philosophy, you know, and just was ready to jump over to the next, um, the next gig as it becomes available. If time allows. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. sort of the thing is like, you have to really learn how to manage your time Mm -hmm. um, or you can run into a lot of trouble. (laughs) Like not only in terms of like delivering your work when you should, but like in terms of your lifestyle and your health, you know, you can, you can really screw things up by overworking yourself. Um, in fact, I did <laughs> very badly. Oh, just, is that right? Yeah. Just a few years ago. And I really had to straighten up and fly right. And, um, Meaning like stress, like just stress or. Yeah. Stress and caffeine and mm. eating like a, uh, can we swear on this? Oh, oh of course. Shit, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I was like eating like an asshole and just staying like sleeping four hours a night. And I sounds very familiar. (laughs) Yeah. What's wrong with all this? (laughs) (laughs) And I as I approached fifty, that led to um an idiopathic cardiomyopathy. Um that was like that's heart failure. I was gonna say, I mean it sounds like something to do with your heart, but I okay. Yeah. It's heart failure. Mm -hmm. And um they thought, well, this guy's big, he's gotta be he's gotta have like clogged arteries or something. 
And they went in and scoped me and they're like, your arteries are huge and clean. We don't know what's wrong with you, but we do know that you can't be fat anymore. Mm. And you have to stop eating salt and you have to stop eating sugar and you have to stop taking caffeine today. Oh. And I had to quit all those things on on one day in 2015. And yeah. um, I mean, I don't know if, yeah, if people that are listening, maybe that haven't met you or don't you. I mean, you were, as you, as you said, you were, you know, you were a bigger guy. And now you're the antithesis of that. So I, but I, yeah, uh, I've been a lot of, I've been every weight there is. <laughs> so say we all, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So I, I always joke that like, if a group of dudes stay friends long enough, you will take turns being the fat guy. Oh, a hundred percent. We've all, we've all had our moments on both sides of it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. hundred percent. So, I, but I had to stop and I was, you know, I was going to die. And like before I was 50, just from stress and overwork. And, um, so that situation's under control now, but, um, yeah, I mean, you've clearly taken hold of your, your, uh, your nutrition and like your weight, but, but has that had the requisite, uh, flow through where you, you are living a healthier life? Like, do you feel less stressed and you feel more, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, part of that is I take metropolol, which controls your heart rate. So like, I cannot get excited. (laughs) I mean, I can get excited, but I can't get like, um, I'll never get that heart racing panic attack feeling. I can't, I physically can't get it. The only Does that way work the other way around too, though? Does that limit your ability to get like super excited about things? No, no. It, it keeps me from getting like, I can exercise and get my heart rate up around a hundred, but my resting heart rate used to be a hundred. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, I had, so I don't have that sort of impen- sense of impending doom all the time sure, that sure. I had. And so the overwork has sort of, listen, I'm not going to lie. The overwork part has crept back in. Like I work too much, but I'm not going to McDonald's at three in the morning um, because I've been up all night working. I'm not, um, you know, pounding caffeine all day. Um, I can't, in fact, I haven't had caffeine for four years. So wow. like it's, wow. It's, yeah. I know, and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked it, but, um, but I never drank or did drugs or smoked or anything like that. So that was sort of like my one vice was like, just like eating like a jerk <laughs> that was taken away. <laughs> so I can't do that anymore. But yeah, so I do, I am overworking a little bit, but, um, I'm not, you know, staying up late with stimulants like I used to. And, yeah. So and, you um, gave up sugar, salt, and caffeine on the same day. On the same day. Yeah. Amazing. I would find it hard to give up even one of those completely. Well, you don't know how bad I felt that day. Okay. I felt I felt so bad. Like I didn't care if I worked again. Like oh. I it was just like, you know what, you uh you need to work on staying alive this month. Um, and then it was the, you, okay, you need to work on staying alive this year. And then like, boy, at that point I was on like five drugs and, and now I'm down to two. So it's, um, a lot of it had to do with lifestyle change, but also just, you know, it was, there's this weird kind of toxic, um, thing that men have in America, at least where, we feel like working ourselves to death is the right thing to do. 
um, because it's what our dads and our grandpas did. Yeah. Really to that. Yeah. <laughs> I can definitely. And yeah. it's less manly. It's like almost like you kind of brag about how much you overwork yourself. And uh, especially in comics, because uh, we're overcompensating because we're not really working. <laughs> we're, we're drawing pictures. Well, you well know? I mean, you're, I know you're being, you're being, you know, like self deprecating flip there. But I think also, too, part of it is that, um, you know, it's you're also make, trying to make a living, so you, yeah, it's not like I mean, you know, very few. It's not like you're getting paid like uh, fuck you money to draw a page, you know, a page. So right. you, you, you know, right. you guys are like always like, well, let's see if I can do thirty pages in a month instead of right. twenty two because it means I can right. you know put some money in the bank. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but there is this sort of romance of um, this like kind of martyrdom that comic book creators kind of indulge in that's thankfully going away now that um more sensible people are getting into the field and by more <laughs> sensible people i mean right. women right. um <laughs> who uh and and also just like younger younger millennial men that just understand that like why are you beating your brains out um you know for an industry that you know sees you as sort of a kind of a fungible asset, you know, like if I stop making comic comics tomorrow, they'll find somebody else. Um, there'll be somebody to take my place. So don't kill yourself. Um, you know, make a living. Yes. But the whole romance of killing yourself for your, for your artwork or your career is, it needs to die. It needs to go extinct. And, um, it almost got me first. Um, but thankfully, um, thankfully it's not going to, well, kudos to you for for overcoming all that. Yeah, thanks. Um, not now. Now that the show's come, so how's that laptop going, Jason? Yeah, yeah. it's down it, right? It's like Casey Kasem coming in after the dog died. On the- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. Well, no. So, so I would I would imagine when you look at your career, I mean, one of the, the when I was saying like how it. I mean, I think you articulated the, the the balancing act, but the other thing too is, I would imagine like there's been chapters like you 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 were an artist, and then like you said, you had a period you started you started becoming a writer, and then you became both. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, how how else, if at all, has the industry changed? Uh, over, I mean, you know, again, thir- thirty years is no joke. I mean, a, a lot of the industry itself has changed a ton. Yeah. Whether it be it's much more global now, it's it's all mm-hmm. digital now. I mean, um, and just digital meaning, you know, how you get the pages to to each other and um yeah i'm just curious like like what do you think of the industry now i mean in terms of like the health and 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 uh do you feel good about where where we are as an industry and that sort of thing and and you know versus say where we've been in the past right um i'm not gonna steal this joe kubert line um (laughs) joe kubert used to famously say that he'd, he'd been through the death of comics six times. <laughs> right. Um, I'm, I've, I've, I've only been working at 30 years, so I think I've only been through it three times. Sure. Um, but it's always like, it's always doom and gloom. It's always like, Oh, the end is nigh. Even when it was booming, like people were like, Oh, this boom can't last. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I think people need to do a better job of separating the direct market superhero business from the comic book business. The comic book business is going great. Um, the direct market superhero business is, is really getting hit hard by piracy. 
Um, there's no other way to look at it. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I know we agree on this. I, I, I say this all the time online. I know you're of the same mind. Yeah. Because, and and not, and like, I'm not trying to come down on the kids that do that. I'm just saying like there more people know about comics and what's going on in comics than ever before. And not just from the movies. They know about what's going on. Like, Every day in, in House of Ten, or I said it right, didn't I? No, you said uh, so it's Powers of Ten. Yeah, House ha- of X. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, House of X, Powers of Ten. <laughs> so, um, uh, everybody knows that's going on with that, but even though that book's only selling like one hundred fifty thousand copies, exactly, exactly right, yeah. But half a million people know what's going on in that book because Correct. a lot of people are not paying to read it. Just the way a lot of you know kids don't kids don't pay to. Uh, listen to music or, yeah. you know, or even watch football. There's ways to pirate stream football, you know? So there's, there's not much you can do about it. <laughs> like you can do the product. You can try to reach people, try to create more hardcore fans that are willing to support comics. Um, sort of that vinyl record model, you know, like most people aren't paying for their streaming music, but the hardcore fans will go buy that vinyl record. Um, and so that's become that alternate revenue stream for artists. Um, and but some, I, some creators have, have, have made that, um, tried to make that point. I think it was Jim Zub maybe a year or two ago with, um, is it Skull Kickers? That was his book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know, he, he had a, uh, and I thought it was very thoughtful. He, he, he shared his numbers, I think. And I think it was even back on 4chan, there were people posting and he came out and said, well, I know everybody expects me to lose my mind over this, but I actually think it's good. And he showed some numbers that once the stuff started going up on 4chan, the trade sales went up. Right. But but I think what's lost and what maybe not as many people remember is that he then subsequently updated that a few months ago, earlier this year, and yeah. said, I was wrong. I was yeah. wrong. Like, it was transient, <laughs> and, and I've, I've lost an insane amount. Like, to your point, yeah. a, lot, a lot more people tell me at cons that they love Skull Kickers than, like, have physically ever bought the book. Right. Like, you know, like, like 5,000 people bought that book ever. And, and yeah. I get, you know, people at cons all over the world telling me how much they like the book. So, so, um, yeah, like, and, and I, I, you know, I've talked about this a lot on the show, so people are probably groaning, but I, I think that, um, you can certainly make the analogy with comics piracy to other forms of entertainment because they've all been pirated. Sure. Yeah. But the thing that comics has going against it, and I think makes it harder for the industry to adjust to is that you can download 300 comics in a very short period of time if you have a high bandwidth connection because a comic individually the file is tiny it's not a big thing versus you know music files are not that big but they're much bigger than that and then movie files are even larger than that so while high-speed internet makes it relatively easy to pirate any of this stuff uh, i think with comics it's just i mean it's literally the click of a button i mean a kid can on his phone can have you know all the week's comics on his phone versus having to like wait to be at home and downloading it on his laptop and then tra- like, like it's instant. So I, I just, yeah. And I don't know how you fix that. Cause yeah, I don't also- know if it's fixable. Yeah. yeah and the problem with it is uh, like, I'm not, I know what the argument is like, I wasn't going to buy it anyway. Um, so you should <laughs> right. just be happy, be happy. Somebody's reading it. Well, some of you would have bought it. <laughs> like, and when it comes to like, um, I can go back to fire breather, a book I did at image. Mm-hmm. And we knew that like, uh, just from going to like one popular torrent site, we could see that like an issue was being downloaded. Like, and these aren't aren't astronomical numbers. We could see our an issue was being downloaded like fifteen hundred times the week the book came out, which doesn't sound like a lot. Fifteen hundred, it's not a lot, but 
if your book's selling 6,000 copies, that's huge. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the difference between, uh, you know, if 500 people would have bought that, you know, that book could have hung around a little bit longer. Sure. So the, the margins are so slim in the direct market that you can't really survive stuff like that. Um, but comics themselves, the form, um, uh, my wife teaches third grade and it's the, it's the, preferred way to read in third grade is Mm -hmm. novels um you know like kids will just devour amulet or bone or you know dog man whatever uh smile ghost they eat all that stuff up and then and we're we're training like this whole new generation of people that are really comfortable with reading comics Mm -hmm. and they're going to want to keep reading comics and Mm -hmm. so i think uh in that at least in the graphic in terms of the graphic novel market I think the future is really bright. Yeah. And I think, I think the superhero comics are always going to be around one way or another. Like even if like everyone's all panicking about, you know, will AT&T even want to keep making comics, <laughs> you know, so they're going to be Superman comics 10 years from now, believe me. Um, they'll license it out to somebody else or something, but they're always going to be, you know, your superhero comics are still going to be there one way or another. Well, um, I know some of us are even, um, some of us, that, uh, folks in the in the Facebook group, when when Marvel started, ha- when IDW started publishing yeah. Marvel action books, and it's like, okay, so yeah. why why would Disney even bother spending their money to publish stuff if they can just have a smaller company right. go ahead and and put out a Black Panther or Captain Marvel or, or Spider Man comic book? So it, it's yes, I do. Even even a smaller publisher like IDW, which doesn't really do superheroes except for. Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah. Turtles for them to come in and and take get the license for for one of the largest superhero companies out there. It's it's um yeah, and it's, that might it's be weird. the way it goes. That might be the future. I don't know. Um, people have been speculating about that for a long time. I mean, even as far back as when Marvel turned some of their books over to the Image guys. Um, oh, with Heroes Reborn. Yeah, during the Heroes Reborn era, that a lot of people kind of saw it that way um, as sort of a a sort of like a baby step towards that mm-hmm. farm farming out your characters. But it's the way things are now. I mean, I don't think, and I don't think Marvel or DC would do that because it is right now. It's the cheapest R and D department on the face of the earth. That's the That's thing. True. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can create, you can create billion dollar characters for an investment of, a, you know, like under a hundred thousand dollars. Um, yeah, you know, and it's, you even, know. it's even better than that for people don't realize because you know, as 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 we even alluded to your career, I mean, most people that make comics are not even full, you know, FTEs, full time employees. They're they're freelance. So, so like it's just from a P and L perspective for these big corporations, it's like a no brainer. I mean, I like oh, I, yeah. I had to, so I'm with you. I mean, like the 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 form factor or the frequency or the overall budget for them or all that 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 all may change over time. I mean, it always changes, but I, I think. Your, I think I think we all agree with you that like it's we're, we're going to be long gone before there yeah. aren't Batman and Superman and, and X-Men comics on the shelves in some fashion. Yeah, form. comics will find a way, you know, they do. So you've done a lot of work in the last few years with Aftershock. Um, is that just like because you worked for them, you know, that initial time and it went well and you thought, well, why not? Like, I like them. Or is there a, is there a connection there? Like, do, did you have a connection with Mike Martz and stuff? Or I'm just curious. Yeah. Like what uh, it is I'm, about Aftershock particularly? Uh, I've known Joe Pruitt, who's sort of the founder, who's the founder right. of the company, sure. and I've known him since our Caliber days together. 
Oh, okay, okay. Makes yeah, sense. he was he was an editor or publisher at Caliber when right. um, about the time I was doing a lot of stuff there. So, um, and we we had this. Uh, Joe had this idea for what eventually became Aftershock at an earlier time, like for, for a couple of years before that we were trying to get a publisher going as sort of a, <laughs> this sounds disparaging, but sort of a low rent image, you know, just like uh, just kind of like a more of a creator's co-op kind of company. And we were trying to get that up and off the ground and, it kept sputtering out and not working out and the lineup would change and the creators would drop in and out. And so Joe was like, well, I'm learning enough about how to start a company and I know how to treat creators. So I'll just start it. I'll just start a publisher with this framework on my own. And that's what aftershock became. And it's, it's, um, it is a creator focused publisher, which, um, makes it, uh, able to compete with places like image or idw for creators new properties um and that's why you see like the level of talent that they do have there is pretty impressive um because it offers the kind of freedom that you can't get other places and um, i think that's what drew me to them besides besides loving joe that sort of freedom to explore ideas that other publishers might not take a chance on mm-hmm yeah, I mean it's 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 always hard to know from our end as the consumer like how these publishers are doing. You know, like like I mean, yeah, like we can really only judge it, like you said, by the talent that they have to create the books, and then the frequency and the supply of books. And it seems like AfterShock has a pretty steady, ever increasing supply of titles, like you said, and, and high end creators. So I can only yeah. conclude like things must be going reasonably well. Yeah, it's not easy out there though. I mean, it's right. tough. They're competing with, um, and I love Image. I do books at Image all the time, so I don't want this to come off as sort of a slam at Image. But Aftershock is competing with a business model that's impossible to compete with. Um, image, the Image deal is unbelievably good, <laughs> like for a creator. Sure. Um, they don't they don't take any of your property, um, and they print your book and it gets huge exposure and it's a, a great place to be. It's, it's this juggernaut that just won't slow down. And for a young startup company trying to poach that same caliber of talent, um, you don't really have, all you really have to offer them is some more upfront money than image can provide usually. Um, but for you to make your money on the back end, you have to own a part of the property. So at image, you never have to worry about that. So it's hard if you're if you're the kind of creator who can write their own ticket. Like if you're like Jeff, or uh, if you're Jason Aaron, or you know if you're a big name in comics, it makes a lot of sense to do your books at Image, where you know you don't have to share with anybody. And uh, and so all these other companies that want to do creator own stuff, like Vault and IDW and Black Mask and um, Dark Horse they all have to compete with this business model that's sort of impossible to assail and they have to find a way around it. Yeah. I think about that a lot. I think in fact, well, last time we had Jeff on, um, we specifically talked about the fact that to your point, like at this point in his career, like why not? I think we even asked him like, why don't you just do all your books in image? Right. Like, I mean, like, like, because like you can, your name can sell a book now. So yeah, 
but uh but you know he said he kind of like what you were saying with your freelance career like he just likes to mentally be involved with multiple publishers at all yeah. times because you never know and also yeah. he gives you know dark horse was a was hugely important to him earlier in his career and he feels a, a bit of loyalty to yeah. that and and i respect all those things so i so i think it's great i i, I think oh, I, and also those other places offer um more of an editorial infrastructure mm-hmm. sure right, right 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 you know, like image, you have to sort of hire. If you want an editor, an editor, you've got to hire one, and then that editor has to sort of take on the role of dealing with all the physical, you know, dealing with the with um, getting the book to the printer, you know, get you know, proofing the books, all that stuff that you don't have to deal with at aftershock or or um, IDW or Dark Horse because they have staff for that. So yeah, there are advantages to going those places, um, and also you. <laughs> A lot of this business comes down to personalities. You just like working with certain people. <laughs> so you want to work with them. And some people you don't like and you don't want to work with them anymore. So sure. a lot of it comes down to that. Yeah, but it's very similar to what Matt Wagner told us because he's got he's got Grendel at Dark Horse and, yeah. and of course there was the die his 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 sister in law connection there, but um and then Mage over at Image and yep. uh and that he's worked for D C does a lot of freelance for dynamite too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, Oh, that, then that I was going to ask you, cause I, you know, th- this will perk events up. So how, how <laughs> was it? Um, so, so for properties like green Hornet, uh, yeah. and even, um, to, to, to a similar degree, uh, maybe working with Alex Ross on things like the black terror, like how knowing, knowing how you, knowing your style for, for the modern day, um, characters um what was what was the mindset when it came time to, to working on on a pole character um i i felt like a lot of i felt like i had a really free hand on the black terror because it was well for one thing he's a public domain character so he's been around forever um you can you can take whatever you want to be his continuity and you can drop whatever you want as continuity like it, it's almost like dealing with a new character um, but he does have this sort of fearsome um, uh, character built up around him, and that's fun to play with those sort of tropes. I I, I joked with people that I sort of wrote him as um, uh, the Clint Eastwood character in El Camino, like he's just sort of like <laughs> this man out of time, mm-hmm. super like super grump, you know. And um, uh, every time you work on a character at at Dynamite. Um, that's like that, like Lone Ranger or Green Hornet or Bionic Man. They have a lot of baggage, but Dynamite is such a nimble, fast company. They're like, just, they're like, you know, have fun, take a new take on it. If it doesn't work, we'll try it again. You know, so uh, the the Green Hornet take was lar- was largely what came from Kevin's film treatment of the character. Um, same with Bionic Man. And it was mm-hmm. our job to sort of like, you know, use that as a springboard and just keep developing the characters when, when Kevin left. So it's, it's, I, it's a really, um, in that regard, it's a really fun place to work because, uh, I, same thing when I worked on the gold key characters there, they're sort of like, have fun, do what you want. And if it, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, we're going to try again next year. So, uh, be yourself. And it's a, it's a lot of fun to work like that. It's a good approach. Um, being a fan of those pulp characters, it's also very maddening at times 
because <laughs> right now Dynamite's going to relaunch another Black Terror. Right. And it's like the fourth time or fifth yeah. time, I think. And concurrently, yeah. Antarctic is publishing Black Terror stories. Right. In well, their, you could do one or two. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, I love the character. <laughs> I, think he, I think he's great, but it's just so um, reading as many comics as we do after a while. All yeah. of the stories start to stack up, and it's like, okay, wit, what company published that story, and, and is it canon in the story that right. in the universe I'm reading now, or is that at the other place? And it's just, and even um, Eric Larson used, yep. you know, uh, Daredevil and the Black Terror in Savage Dragon. So it's like these characters have such a legacy, but it's all over the place. Yeah, it's a, it's, but that's sort of like it makes them more kind of reflective of comics as this sort of almost folkloric art form right you know it's almost like this oral history that's building up around the black terror um and he becomes this almost mythic figure you know some you 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 take part of the like all the stories that accrue around hercules over time like some of those are canon and some aren't and some are just cute stories and um it's it's sort of the fate of all heroic um, figures, I think it's mm-hmm. kind of neat to see it happen in real time. And and canon doesn't really matter to no. me in the big picture, but it's nice to have, as Jason says, the gravitas of knowing um, Black yeah. Terror just killed this baby. You know, right. he wouldn't. But uh, ten issues ago, this baby was shown in the hands of another. You know, I mean, another character, and yeah. it, you start to jumble the the uh, the characters and the, the situations when it's being published by more than one publisher it's just right maybe i'm just getting old but uh, that's probably know. a large that's it, probably a large uh, part it of. could be uh there's an ongoing um i'm trying to get jason to love the pulp characters but man <laughs> it it is rough he it, even the mere mention of pulp he's like yeah no i'm out that's good you you yeah. just enjoy it but, we um, just, I just loved Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. I was just going to say, he did. Yeah, right. I mean, it's not this. I mean, I don't. When I think of Pulp, I think of, yeah, of but, Green Hornet, Lone Ranger. Right, it's, right. That was the most un, yeah, un- unpulpy Peter Cannon that, <laughs> that ever was. Right, right. It was. But yeah, I, I have to go back to that. Like, the probably the best experience I had at Dynamite in terms of like creative fulfillment was I, I wrote that one shadow one shot. Um, it was just an annual. But it would just felt cool to be working on the shadow, yeah, and 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 have a free hand, you know, just sort of do it the way I wanted to do it. And that is one thing I really have to tip my hat to Dynamite for is once they make the decision to hire you, they're all in. You know, they're like, do it your way, mm-hmm. which is which is which is <laughs> which kind of it goes a long way. It can make up for. Um, not getting as good a page rate as you normally do, um, uh, it can be made up for just by having a fun experience. Right. Sure, yeah. I could see that, and yeah, we we see that with IDW too, like with like Dash Shaw doing Clue, or you know, or right, uh, McLeod doing doing Karate Kid. Right. It's like oh, okay, yeah. You're like uh, all right, man. Like you do you, but it, then it ends up being awesome because they're basically given the keys to the kingdom. Just do whatever he wants. To tell right. a cool well, story. Well, Kieran Gillen's. Uh, Thunderbolt could never have been created any other way. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's why. I mean, I think we all, you know, we we all love that book. It was it was just a a special book because they let him just just do something audacious yeah. with it. Yeah, that's it, why I treasure uh, something like like 
Strange Tales that that Marvel put out a few years ago when they had all like the oh, like, like Raphael yeah. Grandpa doing doing you know there's just yeah. there's something about seeing seeing creators that you wouldn't normally see on something like that. Well, like when Farrell Dalrymple did Omega the Unknown, it's like oh yeah every every yeah. now and then like Marvel and DC get cool right like they're yeah. like all right let's just let someone do <laughs> that's like they bring fun. back yeah. not comics to, not to mention cool but who also appeared within the pages of Dalrymple's Omega the Unknown. Gary Panther. Yes. And it was yeah. glorious <laughs> to see Gary in a Marvel a For your 60th, I'm going to buy you a page from that. Vincent. Oh, I oh. would never stop loving you. <laughs> you already don't love You would never stop loving me already, but it's, okay. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. But for every Kieran Gillen, Peter Cannon, Thunderbolt, under this, this way of working, you get Christopher Priest on Vampirella, where it's just like, <laughs> you just don't get it, my son. <laughs> this that's is, facts this yeah, is so facts. wrong <laughs> yep what, a, what yeah. a, so phil uh we we i mean we're kind of jumping around uh chronologically but uh tell the world like how'd you get into comics like were you just diehard fan big two fan when you were a kid yeah. you know all things when you were a kid i, I loved everything i loved um i loved marvel and dc like every good kid did but i also just anytime i saw something that wasn't marvel or dc I flipped out and I grabbed it nice, uh, just because I wanted to see what else was going on in this world. Sure. And, um, like, I think I own every Pacific comic, like everything. They oh, put really? Yeah. Major cool. props, major props. Uh, yep. But I was like, you know, I'd grab every Charlton I could get my hand on. Um, you know, uh, I would buy, I'd go to a, like a t- 13 years old. I'd go to head shops. Oh, <laughs> and buy like Fantagores, you know, like whatever. Separated you know, at birth, long lost brother. Amazing, yeah. 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 And yeah. I, I, I do whatever it took to get like what else, you know, like Warren magazines, whatever was out there. I grab it. Yes. And so, like when I was in college, was when the turtles blew up. And overnight, and you know how you know the tur- like the turtles was, like they put it on a credit card. You know, yep. they put the first issue on a credit card and it cost them like $4,000 and, you know, returned $40,000. And a lot of people paid attention to that. And it's like, I have a credit card. <laughs> like, I'm going to become a comic book publisher. So overnight, um, the number of comic book publishers just exploded and they all needed talent and the bar got really lowered. <laughs> so I went to work. I was very, I was very bad, and I worked for some very bad companies, and that black and white explosion. But I was working in comics. I was getting thirty-five dollars a page. I thought I was king of the world, you know. Um, and I just sort of started climbing away, way up out of that black and white explosion, and into sort of the indie explosion that followed that, and then kept on climbing that ladder till I was. I don't know how old I was when I started working at Marvel. Like 23, I got a Marvel gig, 24. And um, shortly after that, I got Swamp Thing, and I felt like I'd made it. And it's just been sort of a steady a steady boat ride since then. Two things came to mind. Uh, remember coming up as a Marvel and DC fan, you're used to the, the production quality of Marvel and DC books, and you see your first Charlton book, and even as a kid, you're like, these guys don't have any money. 
<laughs> I think you mean I think you mean you smell your first draw. <laughs> right. Crappy paper, ragged edges on 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 the on the paper just just badly printed off register covers, but there's yeah. a magic to Charlton Comics. Yes, there, there was. And they they really did smell like a tire fire. They did. But uh, <laughs> but they it was cool because it was a little bit subversive because it wasn't that's it, what made Marvel cool when Marvel started in the 60s. It was a little bit rough around the edges, but it was exciting and fresh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and DC was slick as hell, but hidebound. And so every time this, every time a new publisher would pop up, and I'm counting even today, and they're sort of rough around the edges or kind of half-assed, that's still exciting to me. That's still that lo-fi, the appeal of like a lo-fi mixtape, you know? Um, and Charlton definitely had that in abundance. Uh, Kamiko had that. Um, Dark Horse had that when they started, you know, just doing black and white books. Caliber too. Yeah. Go caliber. Yeah. And it was an exciting time. And we had our book at Paul Tobin and I had our very first like regular series at caliber, a book called fringe. Oh yeah. Oh wow. That's right. Yeah. And we were kids. We were just like right out of college and um, back then, you could put out a book like like Fringe from Caliber. It would sell like fifteen thousand copies because it was just yeah, kind how of crazy like, is that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of a boom time. And you now, could if make, you're still fifteen thousand, like an image, you're 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 like near the top oh, of the heat. Superstar, and, yeah. yeah. But I mean, we were selling fifteen thousand, like six thousand people were reading them. You know, that was the nature of that market, right? Right. But um, still, it was exciting. And so, like, I I'm always sort of been drawn to that. Um, uh, whatever is an upstart thing, I'd like to be part of it. You know, I'm, I still find that invigorating. Um, so I, that's why there's always going to be a part of me that, like, no matter what kind of assignments I have at Marvel or DC, um, I'm always going to be looking to, like, at least write something at some place like Vault, you know, right. or or Black Mask or these new places. I just want to sure find that atmosphere really fun. Do you, do you have any any uh, at this point in your career? I mean, do you have any stories that you're have yet to tell that you're just dying to tell? Like whether oh, it's yeah. something you write or you draw oh, or both. Do, I, I have a big board. Oh yeah. Um, of all these books that I want to do, and uh, I also just had my fifty third birthday. So like, I looked at that big board, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to make it. <laughs> okay. I am not going to live long enough to do all these books that I want to do, um, which is at once sobering, but also really invigorating because you're like, ah, I'm not running dry. You know, sure. I'm always going to have ideas to do more things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, at, you know, at the rate I do things, I, I usually have a career own book a year come out yeah, yeah. someplace. And, you know, if I work for another 20 years, that'd be great. Who knows if that's going to happen? But I have more than 20 books up there on that list. <laughs> so, you know, it's not going to quite work out. So it's, um, uh, yeah, I always have stories I want to tell. Always. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a testament. Here, here's an exa- I'll, I'll give you a good yeah. example of it. Like, um, I get asked to pitch inventory stories at DC a lot because um, if, if creators are running late on books, they like to put pressure on them by having an inventory ready to roll. 
and <clears throat> I will beat my brains. Like I'll, they'll ask me to write a character I've never thought about before. And I'll be like, oh, man, I don't know if I can do that character. And I'll go to bed that night and I'll wake up the next day and I'll have four ideas for that character. Wow. You know, that's that's what keeps me in comics. And that's what makes it fun to me. <laughs> I'm willing to beat my brains out yeah. right, to write a, an inventory issue that people might never see mm-hmm. of, you know, the lowliest character you can imagine at Marvel or DC. You know, well, speaking I, I, of that. Yeah. It's a it's a testament to how much David loves you and Andy Parks, where he actually read Irredeemable Ant Man. I, I, I didn't have to push him. He David <laughs> David hated the character. Oh I hate yes. Eric O'Grady. Eric with, yes, with, he with, with a passion. Yeah. But he works he's an asshole. Right. And, yes. and no, I, I no, but yes, yes, you're right. But that but I but I work with assholes. I know assholes. I don't want to read comic books with yeah. assholes i read comics to just you know but it's yeah and 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 also i was i was kind of um i was at that stage where i just kind of felt that um kirkman was just not was, i i felt he was a little full of himself and i was just like okay but i i wasn't i didn't care about the writer i didn't care about the character i was i was fully supporting those issues for you and andy well, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, man, he used to bitch like nobody's business. <laughs> I, I never, I don't know when the last time I hate read something. It's just one of those things where it's, but no, and, and it's, and, 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 I, and like when the last issue was solicited, you had to be like pumping your fist. I was just, well, no, because hey, it meant that, you know, you guys weren't going to get, I, it, it was, the story was done. Yeah. I mean, okay, great. It's, it's fine. But it, it's also, it's like, I still want, uh, like I said, I mean, Kevin Smith on Green Arrow was like, okay, that's great. But then, you know, you and Andy on it is is just is perfect. I didn't really care about the story. I didn't care about Stanley. It, it was it was a cool story. I love having Ollie back because again, it's um Connor Hawk is a cool character, but it's you know, just I house my Green Lantern and Ollie's my Green Arrow, so it was nice to have that Kevin was able to bring him back and that you and Andy were along for the ride and then and then Kevin left and you had Brad come on and then of course Judd and and I was just I was with it for it all but yeah no I there are some you you guys especially you and Andy are are creators that I will follow to whatever you're doing so well I'm glad um, you feel that way. well I question you chased but I'm glad, I'm glad you well feel. yeah I know. you can't there's just certain things you can't it's like you can't pick your friends right but there's just it's it's um yeah no as as Vince said he loved the character he loved the book um so at least there there was that but no yeah. it's <laughs> i appreciate it no seriously yeah. i was more giddy to see the effect you guys were having on david than actually <laughs> enjoying the book yeah. but, but yeah. loved watching him suffer he did he, did. he still does yeah. but and, and it, it was it was nice that it was something that uh you guys were able to um pull that out of out of the enemy the state storyline because of course that's when wolverine takes down the whole yeah. helicarrier and whatnot. Oh, and was, yeah. I, I just, I, I love that now. whole, the, the, the way you guys built off that, but, um, yeah, yeah was, no, I, it was like the, um, I think it's only the second Marvel book I ever drew and remains the second Marvel book I ever drew. Um, well, the first one, the ultimate Marvel team up. Yeah. Marvel team up. And then, well, I did a little, you know, just little things here and there. Right. Um, the only, the only series I ever drew was Ant-Man for Marvel. And that it's kind of boggles my mind because I was definitely a Marvel kid growing up. And, um, I just, it just happens to be like, 
you know, you know, no matter what your favorite team is, you play for the team that drafts you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I, but when I say I was a Marvel kid, that's like I'm 51, 49, a Marvel kid, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I looked, you know, Marvel wasn't putting out anything like Ragman and like Ragman was my jam when I was a kid. There you go. Well, listen, we have to, uh, while, while we have you, I, I have to, we have to speak on some original art because, yes. uh, we are, we are both, we are both average original art collectors. And, uh, but I have to say that you belong in a group of people that I am a wannabe for, which is that I started seriously collecting comic art uh, a little more than a decade ago. And mm-hmm. so while I'm very proud of the collection I've amassed, uh, um, you know, I definitely missed the sweet spot of arbitrage yes. that came I did a decade too. before. And I, I uh, for, for those that don't know, uh, a lot of us post our stuff on a site called Comic Art Fans, and Phil has a gallery up there, which I recommend you all do. Just go to Comic Art Fans and search for Phil's name, and it'll come up. Um, and you have an incredible collection. And think about your collection, uh, aside from, from, I mean, there's some absolute jaw, jaw-dropping grail pieces, but... The thing about your collection relative to really, I mean, like mine or, or, or many other people that I know in the hobby that, that have big collections is you have an incredibly eclectic uh, yeah. taste. I, I mean, and, and and I mean, I'll let you speak to it. But but I mean, just to give the, the, the listeners some some idea, like just looking quickly. I mean, you have like, you know, Nestor Redondo, Ragman, Michael Golden, Micronos, Jordi Bernay, Torpedo. Jason Pages, you know, Premiani Doom Patrol, but then you have like uh, Jim Lee X Men and you have uh, Eduardo Risso Batman. Like you just run the gamut. I mean, you have, you yeah. have, you know, Pete Bag, you have David Mazzucchelli. And, and uh, like the thing about it is not only is it eclectic, but you have like at least a page, an example of a lot of the very great seminal comics, both indie and big two, that a lot of us are nostalgic for. And so. Uh, I tip my cap to you because you have a, 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 an awesome collection, and and I just, uh, yeah, I just love to hear how you, you know when you started collecting art. Um, it seems to me just from our chats on Twitter and and also your gallery that you, you do continue to acquire pieces. Yes, uh, you know, are you are you in that mode now where you like trade pieces now? Or you sell pieces to to buy other pieces, you know, and, and yeah. that sort of thing. I just want to hear about your experiences because you have an sure. amazing collection. I'm I'm what is known to other collectors as a black hole. Like I, when I get a piece, it stays. Yeah, um, same. I'm the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I have like close to 400 plus pieces, and I think I can I I can count on one hand the number I've sold, mm-hmm. and I've always sold those to get another piece. Sure. To trade it for another piece. Um, no, I. You talk about the glory days when you know when collecting comics comic art was a real honey hole i missed that too i mean you you missed it way more than i did Mm -hmm. but guys even five years older than me um really cashed in um andy tells a story about going to see john byrne (laughs) in i think oklahoma city during the you know during the peak of the x-men you know his time on the x-men and he had a stack of pages there, and, and Andy's in high school. And Andy's like, how much are one of these pages? And John's like, well, little boy, those are $50. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like John. 
And Andy's like, oh, shit, I can't swing that. $50. But Andy has a friend who already who's a little bit older and has a straight job. And that man bought an armful. And that's what that man does for a living now is sell off burn pages. <laughs> you know, he just he's like, oh, I need some money. I'll sell off a page. I, I have a cover. I need to, you know, this will cover me this year. Damn. Um, so that's that sweet period was a little bit earlier than even when I got into it. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it started when I started working in comics and I started going to conventions and you could actually see the pages in front of you and, you know, hanging on dealers walls. And it was just so incredible to me. I was just like, Oh, I need to, you know, I can own owning the comic book is cool, but there's only one of these pages. You know? Yeah. It's intoxicating, right? Yeah. And I can buy these, all these artists that were like influences on me. I can buy them and study how they do these things. Like I can actually see what they erased or what they kept or what they whited out. Um, it was like holding like a Rosetta stone, you know, <laughs> to figure mm-hmm. out how all this fantastic art was made. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so like the very first thing I ever bought, um, I bought from a classified ad in the CBG. God. <laughs> it didn't even have a picture. Oh. It was it was a description of the page and it was a bogus description. It was like, it was like oh, fantastic page of um, uh, Black Goliath transforming. I'm like, oh, I need that. <laughs> and I, so I sent my $35 in and I got back what was a very boring page with uh, Black Goliath changing in the very last of the nine panel grid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's oh. barely like he's barely changing yeah but still it was cool to me sure and right after that i bought a from the same source cbg i bought a jack kirby amazing adventures page for any mm. page for 125 dollars oh. and that set me rolling so as soon as i started making real money in comics like as soon as i started working on swamp thing that's when i got serious about it and started going to shows specifically to buy art um right I had this deal with my wife and with myself that what I made at the show, I could spend at the show. God damn, so, that's beautiful. So if I went and I did enough sketches, I could round up 500 bucks, and that would be my budget for original art at that show. And so back then, with $500, you could buy a Frank Miller Daredevil page. Yep. Um, you could buy a Bernie Wrights and Swamp Thing page. <sighs> <laughs> I know. And I was lucky to get in, like all the stuff that looks like unattainable high ticket stuff in my gallery is stuff I got when it wasn't. Yeah. So like, I have a mic. That Mobius Punisher. How'd you come up with that? Cause I never I paid, would have guessed that Mobius even did, drew Punisher. I did pay through the teeth for that. Okay. Um, uh, that was for that, Mar- that Marvel poster series. Oh, oh yes. The right. And okay, yes. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And that was a prep, a prep, um, painting that he did for that. But like most of those things I got, like when they were so like, and even then I was balking at the price a little bit. Like there's a, I have a Mignola Batman page, which is rare as hen's teeth. And people, it, all my pieces say not for sale on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get emailed about that Mignola Batman page every oh, month. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. And, 
people throw crazy, crazy numbers at me over it. And I bought it for $125. Because that's just the way it was then. Yeah. And, and now it's insane. Now, now just now stuff is expensive just because it's old. Exactly. Like, yeah, that's exactly like, right. If you ever told me that a Jose, God bless Jose Delbo, but if you ever told me that a Jose Delbo Wonder Woman, but they are now because they're old, you know? Um, and that's, you know, and p- plus a lot of collectors are like me. They're black holes. They don't let stuff go. So people, yeah, that, sure. people that are entering the, the um, hobby that want a page from the seventies, there aren't a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So, so like if it's not super exhilarating, like if it's a Don Perlin ghostwriter page, it's not, you know, blowing anybody out the doors off anybody with excitement. It's still a page from 1977. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and people want that. Yeah. So that's why you're seeing the prices rise on stuff like that. So, yeah, I, you know, I mean, that's the thing. I think that, uh, it's it's one of those weird things because doing what I do for a living, I, like I I can't objectively tell people that like I can't buy into this idea that oh collectibles just buy them because they always go up in value like because I like fundamentally I just think like that's not like good advice to give to someone. It's not but, true. But no, I know. But but I've lived a, a very different life, which is to say yeah. that when I look back and it's whether whether I was collecting back issues or or slabbed issues or 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 art in the last ten years like. It's oh, my biggest regrets are universally, and I think this is true of most collectors, are universally the things you didn't find a way to acquire. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm saying just for monetary, like again, I, I'm much like you. I'm a black hole. I don't sell anything. I, I also have never bought a single thing with the idea that it would then generate or, or I mean, appreciate to the point where I would then monetize it. Like, I mean, a lot of things I own ha- are worth a lot more theoretically than I paid for them. But I didn't buy them with that in mind. Um, but but that being said, when I look back, I think so many things that I thought were egregiously priced would be worth 10, 20, 30 times that now. Yeah. And and it's not like I look back on it and think like, oh, I could have made a lot of money. I look back on it and think I could have paid it then and it been a little painful. But I would yeah. have it now and be so thrilled to have it because I would see what it would co- – because now it's, it would cost me a, a – something that would lead to my wife wanting to divorce me oh yeah so Uh, i have a great story about that (laughs) um back toward the earlier part of my career i was at a show in kansas city and a guy had a bunch of mcfarland spider-man pages on his wall (laughs) no jesus and uh and behind it i could make out just barely peeking out a neil adams batman page and he didn't, it's like he didn't give a shit about the Neil Adams, <laughs> right? So I was like, how much for that Neil Adams Batman? He's like, that's quite a bit. And I'm like, how much? He's like, it's 150. Oh, no, Jesus God. Christ. <laughs> and I was like, I will take that off your hands. And, and the, while all this, while all the Spider-Man pages were 400. And it, I was like, I'll take that off your hands, you sucker. <laughs> but I, but the, 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 the tenor of this story has changed over time because when I first told it, he was the sucker. Now I'm the sucker. I should have bought all those Spider-Man pages. Oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And, and I could buy anything I want after that, you know, cause I could, I could have been sold selling those off, yep. but I was more, and what I, I wound up giving the 
Batman, the Neil Adams patient, Andy, because he loves Neil Adams Batman. He knows. But, but, um, you know, I thought, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. You know, it's just like, we, you don't know what's going to blow up. You really don't. It's just a matter of like, there's a large demographic issue to it. Um, that's why you're seeing stuff like, like what's really popping right now is late stage burn. Yep. A lot of people thought it was trash. Yep. But not me. I liked it. But like X-Men Hidden Years, it's expensive now. It was cheap. Now it's expensive. Huh. Um, so I remember one of the first cons I went to, this is way before I was into comic art, you know, mm. but I was, I, I loved, I was a kid of the, you know, a kid of the nineties. So I loved all the image guys. And I remember being at, uh, it was, it was wizard world Philly. And I was walking yeah. through artist alley. And, uh, I can't, I wish I could for life. me remember which of the reps it was, but it was like, I don't remember which rep it was, but some rep, you know, had some set up and I was looking through and I, I remember asking if he had any, Liefeld X-Force or New Mutants pages. And he did and he laughed as if he yeah. like, well, nobody wants these. But he laughed and said, sure, here you go, kid. <laughs> and then I remember them being like something like 100, 200 bucks or whatever each. And like, I, I, I you know, so I was, it was more like, oh, I, I can't, you know, I don't have the budget for yeah. this. I was like, anyway, I think it was either just, and it was either, my, it was either my senior year of college or like a year or two right after college, but I was broke. So I was like, oh, cool, man. I guess he does have that neat, maybe, you know. And then I thought, okay, next year if I come back, I'll I'll try and save some money. I'll bring 100, 200 bucks and maybe get one. Uh, and then it never happened. I ended up going to conventions right. for a bunch of years because I moved to New York and started working and so forth and so on. And then I get back to it and, you know, the rest is history, right? I mean, I mean yeah. those, 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 those same pages now are, are hoarded by the Donnellys and other guys for, you know, and, yeah. and every now and then one comes up, up for, you know, 25, 30 grand. I mean, it's like, yeah. okay. See, now, so. now, my favorite – Jason not buying a Liefeld page story involves Rob not having square. Yeah. Well that was, yeah. Yeah. As years ago at New York comic and granted, yes, it would have been, it would have been a difficult um, story for, for Jason to sell to his wife to buy, but he probably would have, been able to worm his way out of it and and he would have went home with oh, that page. Oh, I went page. to an ATM. I, I tried, but I couldn't take... It was $1,000. Rob had a... Had, Rob, had, Rob had an X-Force uh, commission. It was commission. He drew in a commission of, of all the X-Force team. And it was just sitting there and it was $1,000. I think David, Ryan Wynn had inked it. Yeah, yeah. And as David said, it was... He didn't have... Take credit cards and I didn't have $1,000. It was... It was, it was it wasn't was yeah. the first day that kind of didn't have $1,000 in cash, so... Went to the ATM, tried to get a thousand dollars cash, but you know my my bank wouldn't let me take that much out, so it just never happened. And uh, yeah, I, I I lament that. Jason, yeah. uh, let me tell you about a concept called Daddy's Money. <laughs> <laughs> Speak on it. This is money your wife doesn't know about. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, the stash, the stash. My dad used to call it the stash. Um, uh, no, it's it's my wife did know about it, but it's that deal I was talking about. Like if I made it at the con, I could spend it at the con. Right, right, yeah. And that was sort of like daddy's money. Well, not but, only did you get a earlier start, so you got to get some. I mean, while you maybe missed the the huge window of value, you still got some value that I didn't oh, yeah. get. But oh yeah, big you time. also you also benefit from something which I am in, it, 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 exceedingly jealous of, which is that as an artist, uh, you are able to a trade and yeah. b you're able to be at a con, like you said, and monetize at the con. And then, like you said, what your wife doesn't know doesn't hurt her. 
I am a I am a lowly speaker of things about comics. I don't write nor draw them. Yeah. So when I go to a con, it's it's well understood by the wife that every dollar is an output, not an input. So uh, yeah. So you know, I have a teeny yeah, tiny contribution to this this conversation. Uh, before I met David and Jason, so we're talking at least thirteen to fifteen years ago, probably more. I'm on eBay and I'm looking. I just did a search for um, Alex Nino because I love Alex Nino. And all these Bronze Age pages came up from the horror and the uh, the war DC books, yeah. and there was Ernie Chan, Nestor Redondo, Ooh. Alex Nino, for like eighteen bucks a piece. Uh, right. <laughs> and no, no, no. And this is the one time you know me. I mean, I don't buy much original art, but I do buy what I love. And I couldn't resist an Alex Nino page for eighteen bucks. Who could? So I walked away with 10 pages. And at the time, that was a lot wow. of money to spend on original art. But I, I own Nino and Redondo. And, you know, at, like I said, and I, I love them and I'll never part with them. But at the wow. time, $18 was, wow, I'm going to spend 18 bucks on this page. On a piece of paper. Yes. And the, you know, it has still had all the DC paste up things and the story oh. continues after next page. And yeah, um, I just love them. Yeah, the, the the I'm I'm glad that there was it was a I don't think it was C2E2. May yes, it may have been one of the early C2E2s, and I saw the uh, the stack of of Green Arrow pages at at Andy's table, and yeah. I had it in my hand for the longest time, and I I, I lamented it, and 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 I was just like, you know what, I didn't buy it one year, went back the next year, it was there, had to get it. Um, cause I figured at that point now it was, it was meant to be, Andy signed it, you signed it. It's, it's, it's going to be on a frame and on the wall here. That That's the only time I think I can recall that I, I held off on getting something. And then, cause last time at heroes our last, not this last year at heroes, um, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez had a bunch of things on his table. A lot of them were prelims and 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 yeah, rough sketches. But he doesn't and, charge enough. If he's there alone, he does not. I yeah. I have the I have the prelim for um, Action Comics One Thousand, his variant cover, and I absolutely adore it. And it's not it's not on it's it's not on Bristol. It's not on on, right. on Comic Board. It's a, it's a smaller like letter size A four page, and and I absolutely treasure it. Yeah. I was at a show once where he was selling Batman versus Hulk pages oh. for uh, like 400 bucks. And I had to go to him and say, these are thousand dollar pages. Jose, don't do this. <laughs> and, but they were all gone. <sighs> People had descended because they heard, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, but you know, to him, it's sort of like, eh, I'll make another. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, which was, was now, do do you do you play favorites? Do you have pages that are your favorites? Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I I buy stuff, um, mostly if it's a artist that's influenced me. You know, if if you go through my gallery, you'll see there are certain artists I have like multiple pages. From. Sure, yeah, and those are like Kirby and Toth and uh, Tony. You know, of of more recent guys, Tony Salmons, who I love. Um, 
I'll just have like multiple examples or Joe Kubert, you know, have multiples. If, if there's somebody that really can teach me a lot, I have multiple Frank Miller's stuff like that. You have multiple boyettes. That's one of Vince's. Yes. Oh, good old Pat. Yeah. There's stuff that like, also some stuff I just feel like, you know, this is the oddball stuff. And if I don't curate it, people are going to forget about it. But that has not been the case with Pat. The market has caught up to Pat. Hmm. Um, used to be able to get Pat Boya pages for, you know, under hundred bucks, yeah. and and now his stuff is finally starting to pull what it's worth. The uh, one artist I would invest in, and I don't know if the market is uh, very large uh, in terms of you know price per page. Tom Sutton. I'd buy a Tom Sutton page in a second. Oh yeah, it's caught up. No, it's caught up. Damn it. Tom even the, even the Star Trek pages. Uh, not at no, probably oh, not the 70s. Star Trek pages. His '70s stuff really has, especially stuff he inked um, over other people is oh. is blowing up too. So, like, if you can get Sutton stuff from the mid '70s, it's it's a lot nowadays. Damn. Yeah, that's it, just you know, like I said, it's demographics. Yeah, right. Cool. It's like uh, it's why like Alan Davis Excalibur pages right now are just going through the roof. Yeah. Um, and they don't were, even see you just you just triggered me because yeah and they're I, not I, even they're not junk pages by any means they're good pages but they're pages you could add for two hundred dollars like four years ago no I know two two years ago at Heroes I was introduced to a guy who owns an insane number of Excalibur pages yeah and we sat next to each other at the auction and he was like oh I, you know I have so many I'm happy to sell them and I was like and then he hit he hit me up and he had incredible it's an incredible collection and I threw him some. It was a little annoying because he was one of those things where he was like, tell me which pages you're interested in. Yeah. And, you know, it's like it's been a long time I since I like, yeah. held an issue of Excalibur. And so I had to, like, go through the issues and make markings and then, you know, whatever. But the point is, is ended up coming up like five or six that I would have loved to own. And then um, he hit me back and I think he wanted like roughly a thousand a page. and. Uh. I was like, ah, man, like not right now. You know, I just got back to heroes close and gotten, to, like, closer to what they're getting now. That's too yeah, much. That's too yeah much. but these were great pages, you know, like in retrospect, like, like, and I'm oh. like, ah, oh, man, you know, and I just got back from heroes. So I'm like, nah, you know, just again, I just yeah. blew a, sh- a shit ton at the con and I didn't. And then and now I just, now I just deeply regret it because I, I mean, those pages now are $5,000 pages. So it's just, it's just, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. wow. You know, and it, it, maybe we're in a bubble, but if we're in a bubble, it's been going for a couple of decades. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Well, the thing is, is I, a friend, uh, a friend of our, sh- a friend of the show who has a incredibly eclectic, like almost impossible to believe, uh, collection of things. Uh, a friend, uh, his name is also name is Jason, Jason Tomio. Years ago, when I was first befriending him, uh, I rem- he mentioned to me, or he gave me his sort of elevator pitch about how now is the time to be buying all of the late Bronze Age and Modern Age stuff. Because yeah. that because you know what we didn't account for was that we were going to age into a period of of our lives where we were you know enough of enough of us were, were nostalgic for that stuff that were that were getting wealthy or getting successful mm-hmm. professionally, and that would drive those prices up just like silver and golden age. And and while that was more my sweet spot of stuff I was interested in, I was like, nah, I don't know, man. Like again, like there's a huge difference, right? Like the, the stuff back then wasn't preserved. It wasn't collected. Right. So it's just harder to come by, but everybody was bagging and boarding their nineties comics. Everybody, you yeah. know, ev- every artist was holding their art to sell. And, 
And damned if he wasn't a hundred percent right. I mean, totally I mean right, in retrospect, yeah. you know, it's just it's just enough of us got old enough with enough money in our pockets that we're willing to spend uh, ungodly amounts to have these things because they mean something to us. So yeah, that's always the way it is. People are buying back their youth, you know. Mm. So there you have it, people. Go out and 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 buy Walking Dead pages and buy uh, yeah. Saga pages and buy <laughs> buy my pages. Yeah, there you go. Buy strong. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> buy my, any of my stuff's fine. But it's right. all for sale. I have no art dealers, just me. So that's yeah. That was my. So if people do want to buy your stuff, what do they just reach out to you? Yeah, I usually have it with me at shows. Um, yeah. and I, you know, I'm. You can get a hold of me on Twitter and. Actually, do have a uh, philhester.com that I barely take care of, but it has like ordering information there for like some things, especially the wretch uh, trade paperback. So, yeah, you can get a hold of me in a lot of different ways. Uh, Sweet. Usually at a show, usually at a show is best because I I could always sell my stuff through a dealer, but to me, part of the fun is interacting with people when they come to buy stuff from me. One hundred percent. And talking about, like, you know, seeing that they get excited by a page and want to buy it, you know, and like if they get excited enough, I cut them a deal, you know, because I know it's going to somebody who actually loves it, you know. Now you just got to go to cons that we're at. Yeah, I got to get. <laughs> listen, I I'm only going to shows that invite me nowadays. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so 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 New York did invite you, but you can stay at Jason's house for the weekend. I promise. Okay. <laughs> that's that's cool. <laughs> nice of David to invite him. <laughs> <laughs> my wife to chat with my wife here after we were recording. Uh, <laughs> I'll make her get over it. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, hey Phil, it was awesome to have you here. Yeah, it's too uh, any any time you want me on, I'll come back. All right, we'll take you up on that because uh, those two hours just flew by. It was great. And uh, for those of you playing at home, remember, in the previews catalog right now, you can order Family Tree from Jeff Lemire and this man here, Phil Hester. Pre-order it anyway. And uh, the first issue ships in November, is it? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. I should be able to tell you the exact date, but I can't. I think it's mid-November. Yeah. Phil Hester, yeah. Jeff Lemire, Eric Gapster, and Ryan Cody. Yep. That's your and team. Lettered by Steve, and lettered by Steve Wands, who always gets left off all these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there going to be any back matter in this thing? Because the preview copy just kind of ends. Next next issue to cover here. Yeah. There's I, don't, a- I don't think so. I think it's... um I Well, because it's image and because we can do whatever we want, the page count even varies every issue. Oh, so, sweet. So sometimes it's 20, sometimes it's 24, sometimes it's 22, just whatever we need to tell the story. Oh, that's great. All right. Yeah. And so, it's uh, November 13th is issue number one. Yeah. And December right. 18th, the day before my birthday, is uh, issue number two. So. Yeah. And, and it, it's, you... it's a lot of fun. And it's like, if you're a fan of Jeff's, it's, it's like unfiltered Jeff. And it's great Phil, too. I was gonna say, yeah, I like Phil as well. So I like you, to say that. If you solicit our sponsor, Discount Comic Book Service, you can get it at a really good discount. And uh, make sure to order past the first issue. Yes, Be- because yes. first issues always do well. It's issues two and three that you know. 
Three get, is the tell. Yes. Three is the tell. Yes. So uh, great to have you here, Phil. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Let's not wait another forever until you come on again. Yeah, yeah really. please. My um, man. If it if it takes forever again, I will know that I did something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Depends on if you snore at Jason's house. <laughs> hey man, he'll be on the he'll be in the uh he'll be in the uh, the guest wing with you. I'm good. I won't hear it. Oh, that's a deal. <laughs> yes, 100%. All right. Thanks, Phil. Thanks guys. Good night. Have a great night. Good night. I love Phil. Yeah, me too. I'm glad he's around for us to love. Yeah, 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 man. It is. I mean, it is. It's. It's night and day. I mean, you can if if you look at um, if you look at any photos of him now, uh, it's it's it is quite different than than when I first met him um, at at Wizard World Chicago. Um, he, I, I mean, he was never. I wouldn't. I didn't think he was unhealthy. He was a big dude, but he, you know, I've I've seen bigger guys who I would expect. For, for bad things to, to, to happen to. I, I wouldn't have thought that for Phil. And and um, he he had to make a serious um, dietary and, and, and lifestyle change. And, and it, it's for the better. It's for our better because, I mean, we, we get stories from him and, and he's yeah. still around and uh, and it, it's better for him. But, yeah, I, I, I when I when I saw him after the uh, – the weight loss it was it was a double take it, it almost unrecognizable at first glance i mean you see you still see him but at first it was i'm not gonna say shocking but it was just i i wasn't sure i i had to make sure that i was i was i was seeing phil hester's name next to that photo yep 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 so uh get your asses out there people and please pre-order family tree you still got time do it. Family tree number one from Image. Get it. Get it. Get it. So good. Yeah. So uh, we want to thank Phil. We also want to thank Discount Comic Book Service for making this whole brouhaha happen. Uh, remember, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 100, 399. It's an exercise book. Don't start bitching. Um, Heart Attack number one from Image, $1.99. And Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man number one from Ahoy will cost you $1.99. The reason why I said this is the week of post-apocalyptic stories for me was because uh, the book I originally planned to talk about this episode, uh, and I will not do that because Dap is interested, Dap has not read it, both Jason and I have read it, but I will... Um, this is a brief aside to my in your travels. I will implore you to read Molly Mendoza's skip from No Brow. You will be hearing the title of this book, no doubt, come 11 o'clock your time. Woo! Yes. It's, it's not a book one puts down and believes that they've absorbed everything it has to offer. This is a book you can return to time and again and find something else. It's going to reveal its secrets over time. It's not a, uh, it's not junk food. It's it's some very uh, resonant, some meaty, meaty stuff. And I loved it. But anyway, Jason, you feel the same way? I liked it quite a bit. Okay. 
So here's the real In Your Travels, yet another post-apocalyptic story. This coming from Red 5 Comics. This, huh? this may That's have... The, yeah. yeah. This, uh, it just came out. I got it in my, my DCBS box. It is... Um, there's a long list of creators. Written and created by Don Handfield. Art by Leonard Rodriguez. Colors by Dijo Lima. And uh, there are actually um, consultants on this book. They they actually consulted with an associate professor of anthropology and archaeology from Washington College named William Schindler, a PhD student, medieval studies, and Cornell at Cornell University, a Pat Neve, and a medical consultant, Dr. John Lucas. Like, wow, I saw that and I was like, they have done their homework. The uh, book is called The Dark Age. And it is a post-apocalyptic tale. Uh, What would happen if all metal suddenly went away? It sounds absurd, doesn't it? Mm. What if all metal on the planet just evaporated like Captain, not Captain America, like uh, the Marvel characters did uh, pre-Infinity War, right? They just, well, middle Infinity War, right? So the metal just kind of like evaporates, just turns to flakes and goes away. And the uh, survivors are left picking up the pieces. What do you do on a world without metal? Well, pretty much you turn to the Dark Ages. And we have a family... In the opening scene, dad's a, a anthropology or some other a similar science. He's a professor, and they're talking at the table, and they're trying to get their daughter engaged, and he's showing her artifacts, and the daughter wants nothing to do with it, and mom's pregnant, and then all the metal in the world goes away, and yet mom's going to deliver her baby. And then there's a massive flash, flash forward where um, we have the United States of Canada and there are are rebels and there are uh, different factions vying for power. Um, It's, there's no guns, thankfully. So this is kind of a neat little world, Uh, bow and arrow, uh, basic uh, hunting tools. And um, the people that live in the inner cities have turned to cannibalism. There's a neat little illustration of a horse, and it's got bags on its feet. And I'm thinking, why does a horse need bags on its feet? Uh, duh, because there's no metal for horseshoes. Mm-hmm. And our, our anthropologist is trying to keep his family alive. It turns out that uh, the his young daughter, featured in the opening scene, somewhere along the line, had heart surgery. And the metal used to produce the drug which keeps her body from rejecting um, her heart is no longer around so she's basically living on borrowed time and trying to uh, you know make the world livable for her brother the child that was in the womb and the in wo- the woman in the, the opening scene it's very engaging stuff uh, there is an uh, a Native American group that uh, has made a treaty with the uh, United States of Canada, and there's 
various dealings between with them and I, I don't want to give too much of it away. I think you should read it. It's it's very thought provoking stuff. Uh, I enjoyed it very, very, very much. Bought it solely on the strengths of the cover. And the cover, let me see. Um da, da, da. I don't see who did the cover. But that's okay. The cover's very well done. It's it's the Washington Monument being enveloped in uh greenery and somebody on horseback it's great great cover so look it up uh give it a try the dark age from red five comics it's pretty neat nice i'd like to live in a world without guns yeah, me too i said if everybody carried a sword people would be uh less willing to uh get in people's faces but that doesn't apply here either since there's no metal mm. so Unless you're using a practice sword, a wooden sword, but that's no fun. In your travels, um, I have been perusing the second volume of the collected Topi. This is North America, and I just get absolutely um lost in the lines uh these are um these are all stories that, uh well they basically as the title says um stories all take place in north america whether it's um in canada or out west um these are all these were all first published um in italy in italian magazines um for the most part, but the uh, the the first story, which is um, the uh, the admiral at rest, which is about a uh, an old admiral who's retired and uh, lives alone in his cabin deep in the woods. Um, every month, he gets visited by uh, by someone just wandering through, looking to uh, the admiral is is really interested in. Um, in cigars, nobody ever really seems to have any. Uh, they can only offer him uh, snuff or chaw. But uh, someone shows up with a gun and uh, demands the admiral feed him. And uh, the admiral's like, "Okay, sure, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm good." Um, gives the uh, gives this young buck something to drink, which young buck can't handle. Wakes up to um, find himself all tied up uh and then he and the admiral go on a trek and uh admiral's all happy and smiling and and not a care in the world this this, this kid's all pissing and moaning he's he's a bank robber um and the admiral has basically walked him all the way to the uh to the mounted police and that's kind of like basically a, a really nice well not, not it, it's it's a it's a quaint little story but it is absolutely beautifully illustrated it's it's um it's one of the black and white tales in this book it's an oversized hardcover as was the first one um and the uh the the, the stories all tend to have um not necessarily that 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 oh henry um kind of twist but um they just really are pretty straightforward and and um it really is the visuals that uh that move things along i the 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 stuff he does with 
with a pen nib and and just ink is absolutely amazing um but yeah it's it's a series that uh, yeah I, I, I bought the first one and, and i didn't I, I think they said i think lion forge says that there's going to be seven altogether so i don't think they're in this month's preview so I'm, i i got a reprieve but you know so so i guess a couple times a year and and um i tend not to really go crazy when it comes to series that like i don't have like the the ec archives for weird science or anything like that i I don't tend to go after the ongoing hardcover collections but this is uh this is one i have uh no regrets not a single letter so far and and i um i am really uh i just like i said i I could just stare at the the work on these pages for for hours so the collected topi in your travels. Sounds dopey. It's dopey. <laughs> um, special, special in your travels this week. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Um, was sent a digital copy of this book, and it uh, it's a book that is, uh, it warms my heart that it exists. Um, it's called The Whore Chronicles. Uh, but what makes it special is well, a couple things. But but uh, it's created by and written by a gentleman named Mr. Tony Esmond. Ooh, yes, our friend Tony Esmond, who now works at No Brow, uh, wrote his first comic, and he sent it to me, and I, I I appreciate him doing that. But then once I opened it up and started reading it, it got all sorts of even better because. I'm going to uh, I'm going to tell you his co-creators, his art partners. So Tony Esmond wrote all the all the stories. Um, artwork by Rachel Ball, uh, by Rick Jackson, Tom Curry, Charles Raymond, Vincent Hunt, and wait for it, artwork by Sarah Harris. Oh, nice, nice. Our good friend and listener and. Uh, all about all around great person. Sarah Harris just did her first comic book illustration. Um, what is the War Chronicles? Well, it's a self-published book by Tony based on a uh, project, a charitable endeavor um, that has been going on in the UK called Beyond the Streets, uh, which is a UK-based charity that seeks the uh, possibility of life beyond sexual exploitation. You can find it at uh, Beyond the Streets all one word, dot org, dot UK, beyond the streets org, dot UK. Uh, and basically part of that was uh, true story interviews of prostitutes. And Tony made a comic of it. So it is a, it's a, uh, let's see how many pages it is. It's 36 pages. And it is um, basically a, 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 short, a small anthology featuring um, interviews by Shelley, Peggy, uh, Diane, Lana, Sasha, uh, and then there's two prose pieces by Tony as well called "The Story of Sydney Small" and "Peggy Was a Rubbish Prostitute," um, and each is drawn by a different artist. Uh, Sarah draws uh, the Peggy series, or rather the Peggy story, uh, and it's fantastic. I didn't know Sarah had this in her. I mean, it's 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 wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, but uh, I was just taken aback by this because it's all true. And it's, 
it's powerful stuff. Um, getting these real life looks into very, I mean, these are small, these are little clips of interviews that they did, uh, but little clips of, of interviews with, with different prostitutes and what they've gone through. And, uh, uh, it's yeah, it's fantastic. I just I, I just am titillated to to think that our friends are are putting out comics across the pond um, and getting it done and doing a great job with it. So um, I will find out from Tony when and how this book is available. Um, uh, I I don't know if I haven't seen it in previews yet, so I don't know if it's going to like go through No Brow or he's going to just have it online. That that I will find out and I will pass it along in the uh, next episode after I hear back from him, but. Um, just be on the lookout for it. Um, so yeah, it's called the Horror Chronicles and, uh, get yourself a copy and then come to New York Comic Con and get Sarah and Tony to sign it for you. Sounds like a plan. Yep. Excellent. All right, everybody, you know the drill. Thank you for being here. If you want much, much more of this, go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, everywhere. We're there. We're a plague, a pestilence upon you. And we're never going away. So Pox. A pox on ye. Yes. <laughs> In the meantime, say goodnight. <clears throat> David. Night. Never going to get it. Never gonna get it, never gonna get it. You're never gonna get it. Nope. Mm-mm. Dave. I tried to distract you. Mm. It came close because I was I was about to do the little like the 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 do do We were gonna do harmony. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the Beyonce singing it. No, that's um It's TLC, isn't it? No, no. It's um is it in Vogue? Oh, maybe. In Vogue, yep. Yeah, there my you go. Lo- my, the song's name is My Lovin'. My Lovin'. I knew that. No, I didn't. We love you so much. Come back. We'll be here. Indeedly. Do you?